to Ornate Stairwells, a movie podcast. I'm Autumn, and joined as always by Neve. Hi, I'm Neve. Uh, we watched two movies. They yeah. did. Well, so we watched, together we watched two movies. People can go listen to another podcast about one of the movies that we watched. And then I watched some movies, and then you watched a lot of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> a lot of Gilmore Girls. Okay. Let me narrate this for you, the listener. If you listened to yesterday's episode of Gotham City Limits, you've heard a little bit of this, but I'll just, you know, give everybody the full breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, Wednesday, I left work about 7.30. I was scheduled at 8.30, but I felt a little depressed. My stomach was hurting a little bit. We hadn't had a customer in like an hour and a half. There was another shift there, another shift supervisor there to like close everything up. There were three baristas. It was... They did not need me there. Yeah. So I left early. Went and was like, I feel kind of crummy. I'm gonna go outside, smoke. I'm gonna come eat Chinese food and finish out season two of Gilmore Girls. I watched, like, four episodes that night um, before I went to bed. Yeah. It hits midnight, and I'm like, I'm gonna start season three. (laughs) And it's 2 a.m., All of a sudden, I've watched three more episodes, and I go to sleep, and um, I woke up at six in the morning, (laughs) because I think, I think I hadn't drunk enough water before I went to sleep, so I woke up really thirsty, Mm -hmm. but also I drank enough water that I had to pee really bad in the middle of the night, and then also, you know... Nora and I like the bedroom at different temperatures, and I like for the fan to be on, and she doesn't like for the fan to be on, and we didn't have the fan on that night, and so I woke up, like, sweaty. Anyway, this is more detail than you, the listener, need. Yeah. Suffice it to say, I woke up... The additional detail here, just to add more detail that the listener needs, I can confirm that your apartment is just way too warm. Way too warm. Way too warm. (laughs) Um, I will, I will grant it takes some time to like figure out how to finagle the like radiators because it's not like you set a thermostat. It's it's the combination of we like the radiators to be on, but I need there to be a fan on. But sometimes not all the time. You know, it's, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Anyway, 
Suffice it. All this detail is really just to communicate to you that I woke up. you watched all of season three. (laughs) (laughs) I went to bed at 2 a.m. on Thursday. I woke up at 6 a.m. on Thursday. Just hit play. Like immediately. I was like. You tried to sleep briefly on the sofa and then you were like, like, well, I'm on the sofa. I might as well hit play. (laughs) Yes. That was what happened was that I was like. Maybe I'll be able to fall asleep if I go to bed on the couch. I'm not going to have another person here. I forget that you say couch. It's going to be a different like setting. Maybe I'll be able to fall asleep. I need sound to fall asleep most of the time. So I was like, I'll put on one episode of Gilmore Girls to fall asleep to. Didn't take. And I was like, well, two episodes of Gilmore Girls. And then after the second episode, I was like, well, I give up. So then I watched two more episodes of Gilmore Girls. Suddenly it's 10 a.m. And I get, I laid in place for basically eight hours at this point. Mm -hmm. So I get up to make coffee and I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to watch more Gilmore Girls. Nora and I go get breakfast. I come home. I'm still depressed. I'm still out of it because I only slept four hours, really. Watch more Gilmore Girls. (laughs) Suddenly, it's... 10 p.m. and I finished season three. <laughs> I've watched an entire season of television in one day. I'm like, well, I gotta start season four. <laughs> so now I'm on season four, episode five. <laughs> so how's it going, more, girl? It's fantastic. Also, at one point, I there was a lot of smoking, you know, midway through this. Oh, okay. One, I'm trying to look at the bright side of all this. I have been in therapy for nearly, I have been in therapy for over two years now because um, I struggle with um, pushing myself to work too much. Yeah. And I was in a work situation that was very, like, abusive of that in myself. Um, Very, like, Autumn wants to work a lot. We are going to make them work a lot. Um, was working 50 hour weeks. I was miserable. It was very destructive. And so I'm trying to look at this as a positive of, look, I'm healing so much from that bad work situation, from, you know, this sort of thing I've been working on in therapy where I'm like trying to, you know, not push myself. I cannot imagine six months ago laying on a couch all day and watching Gilmore Girls without having a total nervous breakdown. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm very proud of myself. Yeah. Watching an entire season of television in um, one day. Yeah, I'm proud of you. <laughs> Good job doing nothing but watch Gilmore Girls. Oh, yeah. The other thing was that... I'm a- saying this facetiously, but I am proud of you for just being able to do that. Because so often you're just like, oh, I am I just like worked a full day after like recording three podcasts. But like, I'm a failure if I just like sit and play a video game for two hours before bed and I'm just like just relax Jesus Christ (laughs) I'm just surprised at how intensely it swung the other direction (laughs) the other thing was that there was a lot of weed smoking involved in all this (laughs) which eventually leads at some point in the day (laughs) I said to Nora I watched so much Gilmore Girls I forgot I was gay (laughs) Um, which is all to say, I think the show is stupendous. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I forget if I said it on this podcast or if I just texted you about it. Um, I've lived under the false assumption that Emily has loved Gilmore Girls for a really long time. Mm-hmm. This is not true. Her friend mm-hmm. really liked Gilmore <laughs> Girls. And so when they did the remake, she really wanted to watch it. Mm-hmm. And then watched it and said, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get the appeal. And so she doesn't like Gilmore Girls. I found this out. <laughs> I've been married to her for like... 11 years, and I thought she loved Gilmore Girls for a good 10 of them. Well, so, like... (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, probably 11, because, I mean, we were dating before she met this friend, but, like, Mm. it's, like, a friend from uh, undergrad. Mm -hmm. We got married after that, so... Basically, the entire time, I've been like, (laughs) yeah, Gilmore Girls. (laughs) It turns out she's just very patient with her friend who talks about Gilmore. <laughs> the thing about Gilmore Girls um, is that it just wraps you up in it because Lorelai is um, what the teens would describe as a disaster hat, I guess. Yeah. Because she's not bisexual. She's not gay. She is a disaster. <laughs> um, I'll let you finish with this. It reminded me of something. And she just like, you know, she's kind of in love with um, her daughter's father. But, you know, they have a very complicated past. So she almost gets married to him. But then he gets another person pregnant. And so he gets he, he gets Machinamic pregnant. Um, and Machinamic is a fucking crazy person in this show yeah um and he goes and gets married to her and you know she's kind of in love with her best friend but like doesn't want to do anything about it because it doesn't want to ruin her relationship and then you know she falls for um her daughter's teacher it just i don't know it's just very relaxing as a gay person to watch a straight person have like the sort of melodrama that sometimes infests my life (laughs) yeah it's very relaxing to have like to watch a straight person be estranged from her mom or or, or, or to have a difficult relationship with her father it just yeah. makes me feel better <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um anyway we're not putting the stairwells in the sheet because i don't think there is any sort of particular stairwell i wanted to talk about um there is one that is often seen in the uh in emily and richard gilmore's home and there's even one scene there's one scene where it's used nicely in the whole show so far um at the end of season three rory is graduating and um you know the final scene of season three is them like standing on the staircase of the high school that was so scary at the start of season one they like the start of season one they're walking down the staircase and they're, oh, new high school, so scary. At the end of season three, they're walking up the staircase like, oh, we got through high school. It was scary, but we did it, you know? Yeah. It was a very nice stairwell. Um, kind of two scenes across three seasons. Not yeah. really. Not really. I'm going to DQ Gilmore Girls because that's not really, you know, what sitcom produced on a budget is going for you yeah know? this is before we hit record i was sort of talking about like i feel like we've done somewhere we've rated like you know 
for Utena. We we raided the stairs. That's one that has like a recurring, prominent, significant stair. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like if it's just like, oh, here's a scene across like seasons mm-hmm. that happens on stairs, then it, it feels weird to be like, yeah, let's rate this one stair. Like yeah. for the nature of like a TV show, it just feels like it needs to be like a specific stairwell that recurs throughout the series. Or if I could say to you in season three, episode 12, there's a really good stairwell shot where they do blah, blah, blah. But this is kind of, you know, there's like five sets in this show that just get reused a bunch. And, you know, they all have stairs, but there's not really scenes on the stairs because that would be a pain in the pain in the ass light. So they just don't. Yeah, you know. and also like the way that you construct these, you like wouldn't normally have floors, so you're not gonna like, right? Have There's... people going up to another floor, yeah? Because you just are building like a set that you can just have everything, right? Like, your cameras pointing there, you can have like your audience viewing if it's live TV, you know? Yeah, like in in Lorelai and Rory's house, there is a stairwell, and you know it's at the top of the stairwell, and you know it's at the bottom of the stairwell, but you there's a ton. A ton, a ton of steady cam in this show. Never once does that steady cam take you from downstairs to upstairs because I don't think that those are contiguous things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Um, is, that, is that all you have for Gilmore Girls? That's everything about Gilmore Girls. Okay. Um, let, let's just like quickly address. The other thing that we're going to rate, mm-hmm. which is the thing that we watch together, mm-hmm. uh, which is Revolutionary Girl Utena, Adolescence of Utena, or Adolescence Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, dear listener, are like, you're not going to talk that much about it, I wish that you talked about it for three hours straight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> good news. <laughs> Go over to exportodd.io slash ghost divers, or just search ghost divers in your podcast app of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you will see an episode that Autumn guested on. Yeah. It's not just me and Connor. Yeah. Autumn's there too. So if you're only in. You can just, just fast forward whenever yeah. Connor's talking. If you're only into stairwells <laughs> for Autumn specifically, <laughs> don't worry. Autumn's there. <laughs> um, yeah. And we talked about it. I like that movie a lot. I like that movie a lot. Yeah. Um, that movie does not make, I don't think the movie w- would make any sense if you hadn't watched this show. Like, no, don't it's go. Just, yeah. If you've not watched Utena, don't watch this movie being like, oh. No. It's yeah. not the Gundam movies that are like, you know, the Gundam movies, you can debate how well they recap the show, but they do recap the show. You yeah. know, this Where, is a, this is a different story. Yeah. This is, this is specifically banking on you knowing mm-hmm. the story of Utena. Mm-hmm. And then them like playing with that and complicating it and yeah, um, possibly continuing it or possibly doing an alternate version. Mm-hmm. I think we all kind of landed on continuing, but this is like a debate in the fandom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel pretty strongly that it is a sequel, but I understand how other people don't feel that way. So yeah. <clears throat> um, anyway, but I mean, S there's just tons of stairs. There's okay. It's full of stairs. <laughs> If you watched Revolutionary Girl Lieutenant and you thought to yourself, man, I really like the stairs in this show. Let me tell you where all of the budget for the second for the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there are stairs in every damn shot. The stairs go every fucking direction. 
the stairs move, the stairs transform, the stairs slide, the stairs, you know, lead up into the sky, the stairs lead Crumble. down into hell. <laughs> Uh, there is there is a very, very long spindly staircase that has nothing supporting it, and at the top is a rose garden. Yeah. <laughs> um if if we had not already said that, you know, uh Agnes Varda's uh movie about stairs um was the only ornate S we would ever give, this would be just about the only other thing where I would even consider yeah. giving the ornate S. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> This is, this movie's slightly more than just being about stairs, but also this movie's kind of just about stairs. Yeah, <laughs> it is as it is as if Ikuni like was listening to this show in 1999 and was like, "I'm gonna make a movie just for these two MS." <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna have gay shit. It's gonna have stairs. <laughs> it's gonna have. Is it gay? Oh, it's gay. Yeah. <laughs> um. Speaking of it, is it gay? Oh, it's gay. Emma. I know <laughs> well, we have other movies. You know, I have to talk about it a couple. So, um, I have three movies to talk about. Yeah. Um, I have two movies from 1984 to talk about and two movies named Dune to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> you really do have two movies from 1984. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Um, so, Emily wanted to watch the new Dune. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like, both Noon, of- as we call it. <laughs> Both of Emily's parents are, like, very big sci-fi people, and mm-hmm. I would describe um, her mom as more, like, fantasy sci-fi. Like, mm-hmm. her mom likes Star Wars and all the Star Wars EU. She's, like, read every single EU book. Okay. She would love a war in her stars. Okay. I don't know if she actually would, but she's read all those books. We're um, pretty down on those books, so. We, we... When we watch the, um, like, sequel trilogy, the, like, new movies... Mm-hmm. Um, she was like upset about ways that they took stuff from the EU, but then changed it. Me too, bud. She had, she had like <laughs> opinions about like how the EU was was being used. You and me both. Very Mary. intense. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm gonna describe her her dad as more of a Star Trek guy. Mm-hmm. It is it is a love across fandoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Star Wars and Star Trek coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, and. So I, th- I think he's a little bit more the Dune guy. I think Dune is a little bit more her dad. Mm. But like Dune is a little bit Star Warsy though. Yeah, not in like. But I would, I would, I would say that Dune is to some degree the. If you are a Trekkie, you're like, I don't even know why people like Star Wars. Dune is better. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, granted, I have not. I have not read Dune. I've only seen the 1984 movie, which is obviously trying to capitalize on the su- success of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So, but what I'm trying to say is that, like, as a person who's really into Brandon Sanderson novels, I look at Dune and I don't see the like sci-fi-ness of it. I'm like, oh, look, this is a book about like you know states that are like you know trying like and factions that are at war with each other, which is a thing that I associate with, like, Lord of the Rings, uh, Stormlight Archive. But also the thing that I would associate, like, I would associate politicking a little bit more with Star Trek than Mm -hmm. Star Wars. Yeah. Especially if you were thinking, like, 
original Star Wars and EU stuff and, and yeah. not yeah. like what Phantom Menace kind of brought into it. Yeah. Which you have to remember if you are Emily's mom <laughs> is like a far later development uh-huh. in her fandom. Uh-huh. Um, even I as a kid was watching Phantom Menace and being like, this is different than my Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Because I was old enough to have a like conception of what Star Wars was to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had read the Han Solo trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, because um, I, I do think that the the like prequels bring in a little bit more of that like politicking side of things. Yeah, for sure, for sure, um, for sure. But anyway, um, so yeah, she I think she watched the movie multiple times, like when she was fairly young. Um, and read most of the the first book, but never finished it. I mm-hmm. think, um, but like a long running joke. So especially uh, when we first started dating, because Emily just has like very blue eyes. Um, so sometimes I would just be like looking at her and I'd be like, "Your eyes are so blue," and she would just make her eyes really wide and go, "Spice must flow." <laughs> so um, yeah, it's just like it's just like a. <laughs> Um, yeah, she, she just like has a certain affection for, uh, Dune mm-hmm. as like a, a, a thing. So she wanted to watch the new Dune. Um, we call it noon. Yeah. <laughs> you just really had to see if that joke would land again. Yeah. Um, but so we were going to watch that last night and then I saw on Twitter that it was David Lynch's birthday. Um, and like yesterday and today I had like slightly slower days at work. Um, I was gonna watch Inland Empire yesterday. You know what I did instead? I watched Gilmore. <laughs> yeah, Girls. you watched Gilmore Girls. Yeah, I was, I was very aware of this. <laughs> I did remember you being like, "I'm gonna watch Inland Empire," and then or just... M was like Elephant Man, and I think Elephant Man is on streaming, and Inland Empire is not. So I was like, "Oh, maybe I'll do Elephant Man." I, you know, I was like, "Let me just watch one more episode of Gilmore Girls, and then I'll make a decision." If we ever do uh, Twin Peaks podcast, um, I think talking about Elephant Man could be interesting. But I know you've never seen it. If we ever do a Twin Peaks podcast, we want to just go through all the David Lynch movies. Maybe. There's a certain amount of like, do we just start going David Lynch and then we get to where Twin Peaks is and we do Twin Peaks and then we do some more movies and then we do The Return? Is it just like a David Lynch podcast? Is that, that might be good. Yeah. That might that might be good. Yeah. There's a lot of Lynch, but also there's a part of me that's like, there's just some stuff that I want to talk about. With yeah. It. Anyway, I want to do a podcast about racer. Okay, this is probably what we're gonna do. We're probably gonna yeah. do this. Okay. Well. <laughs> um. Anyway. So I probably would not have normally picked like I want to watch David Lynch movie. I'm gonna watch Dune mm-hmm. for his birthday. Um. Because it's also like one of the least David Lynch David Lynch movies. Mm-hmm. But since I was literally going to later that night watch the new Dune. We call or it Dune, <laughs> as we call it. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I decided to watch the the original one. Um. So I'm gonna just kind of talk about both of these in relation to each other because I watched them both on the same day, and so it's like hard for me to to um like think about them without just thinking about how they relate to each other. Mm. And the the big thing is, and I think I tweeted this. Oh, I also have a new Twitter account. Maybe I'll plug this at the end too. But it's at Mediafile. <laughs> Uh, at so it's like media, but then mh like my name underscore pile. I, so it's like I a pile said that to media. you as a joke. 
I just wanted I would just want to be clear that I read you asking me what should I call this account and I was like oh media file and then you were like that's terrible and then like 20 minutes later you had done it <laughs> it was a really bad idea I did it I couldn't think of a better name um anyway um it was also funny because I tried to do media pile without the underscore in between and somebody already has that what <laughs> <laughs> I wondered if it was like um media like MPH or you mm-hmm. know I don't yeah. Or no, I think I I first did just media and then I added the pile. I think that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And then I think I did it without the underscore and then I was like, this is such a jumble of consonants, I have to put an underscore in there for people to get the joke. Anyway. Um Yeah. And I tweeted on there that I think that the 1984 Dune is, and then like the, the 2020 Dune, the, the 2021 Dune is a better made movie, mm-hmm. right? Like in terms of like technical, like I'm making a movie, I'm like telling a story. I am like having like scenes that are like conveying the story. And that like, sometimes there's like things that you as the viewer have to like, figure out exactly what's going on, but you still kind of know what's going on. Um, and like, there's like some like intrigue to keep you going and everything. Um, I'm just like constructing a Hollywood ass Hollywood movie. The the 2021 movie is better constructed. Mm. The better movie though, is the 1984 <laughs> one. Um, Nora hates that movie. It is. It's an absolute delight. Oh, it's so good. So we've done a podcast about it for export. Um, there's a way that that movie for the first hour is a movie and then becomes an hour of montage as just like all coherence just falls apart and not in like a, you know, not in Rebe- Rebecca Del Rio steps onto the stage and sings a song and now it's transformed into a different movie. It just transforms into... We just have so much more fucking book to put in this movie. Yeah. Just fucking play the Toto and get this over with. <laughs> um, like one of the other things too that um, I I was almost astonished by in the 2021 movie is how much and that normally this is the thing that I would greatly prefer is how much they just like will describe the things instead of doing like made up fake fantasy nonsense words. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, the one that was the boldest to me is there's the part where she is the Gom Jabbar mm-hmm. um, and is like holding it up to his neck. And she just says, I have a poison needle at your throat. And I was like, you're not even going to call that one. It's like made up stupid name. <laughs> you're just going to call it a poison needle. No, because you watch the 1984 one and there are sections like it starts with a woman just being like, let me explain to you the backstory of Dune. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like the emperor's daughter or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, here's what's going on with Dune. I'm just going to say a bunch of sci-fi fantasy yeah. words at you. I'm just yeah. going to like say planets and be like, you know, the Farrakhan. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck is any of this? But... When we were watching 1984 Dune, Nora said to me the words Orange Catholic Bible, and I had to pause the movie and laugh, and I was like, no, really, what's it called? (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, anyway. <laughs> so, it, like, oh, what was weird is that, like, on one hand, it's just all of the, like, mm-hmm. here you're reading a fantasy book and here's our made-up vocab words that you have to learn. Mm-hmm. And all of them are in, are in there and you're just supposed to, like, learn all of them. Uh-huh. The other thing is, though, in some ways, like, I watched the 2021 film and I was like, I actually understand more what's happening in here because I watched the 1984 one. Mm-hmm. And in that one, I get all of the, like, internal monologues that probably existed in the book, but that you normally wouldn't do as, like, a, you mm-hmm. know, whispered voiceover over the, the like, video because that's, like, dumb. You don't do movies that way. Yeah. <laughs> but in this, it's just, like, you know, a hunter seeker. If I stand completely still, it won't be able to see me because it's dark in here. <laughs> Perhaps if it comes at me, I'll be able to catch it. <laughs> and then the habit, and then, you know, the, the 2021 is just like tense and silent. And then, you know, you like get that he's hiding. Uh-huh. They have some like hologram thing to like further like emphasize that like, oh, he's like hiding in the, the brushes of the hologram or whatever. Anyway. Does anyone in in New Dune or Noon as we call it, um, does anyone ref- say if you walk without the rhythm, you don't attract the worm? Um. So the one part is there's a few parts in 2021 Dune where they are like 2020 Dune. Yeah. <laughs> the 2021 20, Dune, where. <laughs> They are, they are like okay. We we probably should explain this part, and so they'll they'll just have parts where uh, Timothy Chalamet will be like sitting watching some hollow projector recording. That's like, <clears throat> let's explain to you the sandworm, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's like funny because it's like framed as like he's like studying things or whatever because he's like a you know still young, um. But it's just it's just funny because there are parts that are like we sh- we should explain all the stuff about the sandworm. <clears throat> um, the other thing that's wild about it is the like 1984 Dune. Um, I think they show the sandworm a little bit too much. There are moments early on where I wish that they just had like creepy shifting sh- sands and like rumbling and like you know. I'll silence my phone. Yeah. Or at least don't put it literally right next to the mic on the, the thing. I'll anyway, silence my phone. Um, yeah. And so there's some stuff where I'm like, I feel like this would be slightly more effective if you like built up, like, I don't even know what this looks like for a little bit before you then show it on screen. And then eventually you have Kyle McLaughlin writing it. Uh-huh. Um, and then that's just an incredible, like, you know, that would be like a... A more effective buildup from like here's this like big threat that I like I is like a, the horror monster that you don't even see for a while, right? Two, now he's writing on it, um, and they started doing that with the new Dune or Noon is, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but then they just like towards the end they kind of show the worm, but not really. They just never like give you a really good shot of it, and I'm like. At the end, you just, you have to. The other thing is that they they cut the uh, 2021 Dune in, like, it just ends with, like, oh, I'm, like, meeting the Fremen, mm-hmm. you know, the, the tribe, you know, 
Um, Dune really is the story of an extremely rich aristocratic boy who goes and frees, uh, you know, becomes the leader of a tribe of people, teaches them how to fight, and then frees them from and, and their their colonial oppression. And sometimes it feels like Dune is in on it, and sometimes it feels like it's not, you know? Yeah. Sometimes it feels like it's aware of how fucked up this is, and sometimes it doesn't feel like that. I think it's aware of how fucked up, like, a lot of the system is, but I think there is a certain moment at which it is like, yes, this white man should free the natives. Well, he... <laughs> He can free the natives, and so yeah. he should. Never mind the fact that we constructed the scenario where the white man is the one is the, is the destined savior of the natives. Never mind the fact that we could have just written a book where that wasn't true. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, I feel like I said a lot about Dune, but um, the biggest thing with the Dune Part One from twenty twenty one is just how much it just is like. You watch it and you're like, where the fuck is part two? Mm-hmm. Like literally, like it just feels like nothing happens. It just feels like nothing happens. It's just all a bunch of like, trust us. Big stuff is going to happen. Trust mm-hmm. us. This boy, this boy is the one we're going to like slowly build up that he's truly the one. And then we'll have him meet the people. Um, and then like prove to them that he's like legit. Um, and then we're just going to end the movie right there. It's just going to end. D- the thing that um, my friend Dia said that I think is, I think she's kind of right a little bit, is that like, Dune is one of those cursed things like Berserk, where the first part of it is been adapted so many times now. Mm-hmm. And what the fans want is to see the rest of it get adapted. But like, they're not going to... They're not going to make a God Emperor of Dune movie. (laughs) There's going to be Dune part two, and it's just going to be like what the second half of the David Lynch Dune is, but more drawn out and like probably slightly more coherent. Yeah, that the the back half of the David Lynch movie doesn't make any goddamn sense. (laughs) I mean, it's mostly just it's just montage. It's just montage of training and, and, you know. It's just Kyle MacLachlan being like, you say this word and it's a killing word and you like use this to kill people. Um, and then they get, they get so ready to fight that when they say his name, it's a killing word. And, and so, and then he goes and kills people. They're probably going to make that next movie. And it's probably going to be a little less successful than the first movie was. And maybe they'll make a third movie. That's going to be the first half of the next book. But they're not gonna like the worst case scenario uh-huh. is they make the second movie, but they do a Matrix Reloaded Matrix um, Revolution Revolutions thing where it like almost gets to the end, but you're like you literally like if you just shortened up some of the stuff earlier yeah. here and you just like put in like an extra like half hour, you could wrap this up. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but then they're gonna take that like half hour to like maybe an hour if you really want to do it justice, and they're gonna turn it into like a three hour movie. Yeah, um, and it's just gonna be dog shit. And then no, there will be no more movie because they did the trilogy, and it's yeah. just the Dune, and people are gonna be like that third one was kind of bad. Yeah, and so they're and not they're, gonna make another. And they're gonna the fans <laughs> want you to just go ahead and adapt the second book or the third book, like the fans want to see the rest of it. Yeah. 
people who don't care about Dune are not going to start caring about Dune. (laughs) So here's, I guess, my final thoughts here with, with like, the 2021 Dune. Hmm. Is because I think um, it's the same director who did the the um, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which I have not seen. But and a, a thing that I was thinking about was like, on one hand, I wish that like this was just picking up where the David Lynch movie landed, like in the way that you know the follow up to Blade Runner is like, no, this is like. This is a sequel. This is not where we're just going back and remaking Blade Runner. Mm. Like, I wish that it was just continuing on. They were doing the next book. They were like, look, we know that the last time we did this was in 1984 and we had David Lynch do it and it was weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like widely known as being a weird movie. Special effects are incredible on it. It's so good. Special effects are incredible. So good. Um, but instead they did this. Mm-hmm. Then the other thing I was thinking about was like, I do, though, feel like the world of Dune is more suited to what he seems to be interested in than Blade Runner, because Blade Runner, there there are just so many, like, locales and stuff where it's like, oh, clearly you like doing, like, weird desert stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's just not what you think about with Blade Runner. Yeah. So they're, like, trying to expand the world, but in these ways that are, like... I almost like I, I like when Blade Runner like has this like weird like there's so much world outside of it but we're not seeing a lot of it. Yeah. Um, Just like the reverse of like what we were talking about with Utena where it's like someone in the manga says Amsterdam you're like Ma- it, Amsterdam does not exist in the world of Utena. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like what the fuck is Amsterdam? Yeah. What the fuck is Amsterdam? Whereas you watch Blade Runner and you're like there's a whole world that you don't know about. <laughs> yeah, there are like planets where shit's happening and everything. Um and we, like, I don't think you ever leave Earth in the in twenty forty six or whatever. But still, like, you just go outside of it in in ways that I kind of just liked it being like, no, just like Earth is the like hellscape of Los Angeles now. Uh-huh. <laughs> I but anyway, um, this is like, oh, clearly you just like doing these like weird planets and having a bunch of, you know. Anyway. The only thing I thought, I just want to say before we move off of Dune, unless you have additional Dune thoughts. I had questions about Blade Runner. Okay. Um, My final thought with Dune is in um, Dune 1984. There's a part early on where they uh, roll out this like giant tank and they open it up and inside is this like weird alien that's like floating in, you know, liquid and stuff. And it's like, uh, you know, these practical effects that mostly look good except the mouth mo- movements are weird because it's like speaking english but it's just this weird mouth and they're just like flapping around mm-hmm. um and there's this part where like there's like this like serious conversation that's happening and then the aliens like we want paul dead mm. um and then basically literally says but you didn't hear that from me. I wasn't here. Mm-hmm. And then they have to like close up the tank and roll the giant tank which is like I'm saying tank because it's like a tank of water, but it is like, it's like if you took like a tank that could hold like at least a dolphin to like go around comfortably or like a whale very uncomfortably, Mm -hmm. you know, like you should maybe for transporting a whale, but you wouldn't want a whale to live in there. It's like a giant tank of water. Yeah. That's like a large like tank vehicle Mm -hmm. driving it Mm -hmm. and they roll it out. And I was just laughing hysterically at the idea of this like giant thing (laughs) in like a giant tank of water being like, nobody can know I was here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to, I'm just going to slip out the back. Let's roll my giant tank out of here. (laughs) I was just laughing so hard. And then it just like goes and flies through space and 
Yeah. Yeah. God, that movie. There's so just good. there's just so good. I guess my my one final thing that it comes up here. One, it's interesting because there are moments where you're like, okay, this is like actual Hollywood special effects. But David Lynch still does get in a few moments where it's just like, no, I'm going to do weird like video composite shots while we're doing this dream sequence. And I I love when that man does like video composite shots that are in no way intending to look real. It's so good. Anyway, questions about Blade Runner. I've got four questions, so you might want a lightning round these. (sighs) Okay. One, do you like Blade Runner? Yeah. Okay. Two, do you like Blade Runner 2049? Yeah. Three. It's mm. it's a little bit more like, there's some stuff, there's like these moments where you're like, oh yeah, you're making this look like biblical and Egyptian because he thinks he's God. I see what you're doing here. Mm-hmm. Three, should I ever watch Blade Runner 2049 if, say, I were wanting to start an anime podcast with someone immediately afterward? Wait, I thought I thought you and Connor went to see Blade Runner twenty forty nine and then decided to do Ghost Divers. Well, no, we decided we decided to do Ghost Divers during um, Police Story one and two. Oh, I but we did also mind. go to see Blade okay. Runner twenty forty. Is it twenty forty six or twenty? I thought it's twenty forty nine because the first movie takes place in twenty nineteen. Okay, probably. Yeah, I don't. I don't know numbers. Um, I mostly remember this because. I remember people in 2019 being like, oh, it's Blade Runner year. Oh, it's Akira year. Yeah. Um, I will say watching it with Connor was fun. because yeah. We just... A Blade Runner sequel is the kind of thing that we're going to, like, just have brain thoughts about in the same <laughs> way. So, Last question. Do we want to do Blade Runner on this podcast at some point? Probably. I love that movie a lot. I love that movie. I would original love to talk, movie in particular. I would love to talk about it. Because it is a movie that is talked about to death, but I feel like, um, I feel like I still have stuff to say. I feel like I hear other podcasts talk about Blade Runner, like, um, whatever. Waypoint Radio did an episode about Blade Runner one time that I thought was bad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just like... It's not that no one's ever done good criticism of Blade Runner. It's just that I think that we could say something. Not that no one has ever said, but I just think that we would have stuff to say about yeah. Blade Runner that would be interesting. I mean, I will say I, after watching Noon, which is what we call New Dune, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, maybe I'm just gonna watch the original Blade Runner and then Blade Runner 2049, like next week. So. Okay. But well, I still might do that because who knows when we'll slot that into her. It's on it's on Netflix, which does make I I'm at a place right now where stuff being on for a while, it did not matter to me one way or the other whether stuff was on streaming, because it was like just as easy for me to pirate as to watch it on streaming. With my current setup at the new place Stuff being on streaming does make it more enticing, and I did notice that Blade Runner, the final cut, is on Netflix, which does make me like, ah, I could just put on Blade Runner one day, and... Yeah. The one thing is, I know Nora hates that movie, so I would need you to come over, because I would need to arrest the TV away from her, so... Yeah. Or, I mean, we can watch it at my place. Yeah. Or I could just... My internet situation's different, so... I could also just, you know, tell my wife to go to hell and watch Blade Runner. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, I love her. I want us to watch Ghost in the Shell before we watch Blade Runner. Okay. I yeah. still might watch Blade Runner this week just because I'm itching to watch the uh, Blade Runner 2049. And since I did Dune in Dune, I'm going to Dune in Dune. I'm gonna do <laughs> Thank you. Blade Runner, I... Blade Runner 2049. Listeners, um, you didn't hear this, but I just stared at her when she <laughs> said Dune in Dune. Like, please, come on. <laughs> um, anyway, shall I talk about Crimes of Passion? Please. So the other movie from 1984 that I watched. Oh, Stairwells in Dune and Noon. Oh, um, so in Dune, it was a C plus and in Noon, it was a C minus. What's Noon? Um, <laughs> I'm getting shoved now. Um, so both of them, there were the, the main difference here. None of them had like a really key significant. This is a stairwell scene that's happening. There are multiple moments in David Lynch's Dune where um, we get, like, Cal McLaughlin walking downstairs. There's, like, a big triumphant moment at the end where, like, him and his, like, crew, which includes um, uh, Big Ed from Twin Peaks and Patrick Stewart. That is Big Ed. Yeah. That's Big Ed? Holy shit. There's, there's like, a moment where um, Big Ed's there and Patrick Stewart and Kyle McLaughlin hook, and I'm like, this is the best movie ever made. (laughs) This is all I've ever wanted. It's just Picard and and Cooper hugging while Big Ed's just there, like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Anyway. Okay. Um, Man. I love how there's a extended fight with really interestingly low poly uh, like crystal shields that they do. Um, that is just uh, Patrick Stewart to Kyle McLaughlin and being like, I can penetrate your shield with my knife if I do it slow enough. <laughs> anyway. Not to Fujoshi brand. <laughs> We're always Fujoshi Brain. Put that on the put that on the new episode art you made. You, Neo is nice oh, yeah. enough to make us new episode art. Um, yeah. What I, what happened was so I used to have uh, Photoshop, mm-hmm. um, and then Mac changed from thirty two bit to sixty four bit, and it broke like every single application that has ever been uh-huh. on Mac. And some of it updated, but um, Adobe was like, well, you just have to go to Creative Cloud now, and you have to pay us, like, 10 to $50 a month or whatever right? to, to have access to it. That's the only option now. Um, but there was some version that worked on 64-bit, um, and since the one that I, I bought, Photoshop, like, mm-hmm. I, I bought it, like, for a lot of money mm-hmm. a while ago. And was mad that they took it away from me. Yeah, understandably. Um, yeah, I um, figured out a way to legally upgrade it. <laughs> so I have Photoshop back, which just means that I like. I I have been using um, Pixlr, that's P I X L R, for a long time for the episode art, which I think is a very nice free software. Like I think yeah. it is. I have gripes with it, but, like, it is free, and it works in a browser, and so I use it for a lot of stuff. It's very nice, and I want to, like, 
shout them out here. Yeah. Um, because Gimp of that. Is, Gimp is like great as a free. I hate the name. I hate the name I, so much. I don't want to say the name. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Um, but, but like, like it's it's a nice thing, but also it's just it's so bad compared to Photoshop. And I <clears throat> have done a, like you know I went to school for art and design. Mm-hmm. Um, Graphic design is your passion. And um, yeah, so I just I just like I'd been meaning I had been telling myself for two or three months that I needed to at the very least update the template I was using because I there were a some stupid like there were some stupid decisions that I made thinking I just need to get this hunger episode up here we go I don't know why the dimensions of the episode are 808 by 807 that's a stupid <laughs> it's very stupid <laughs> yeah instead of just like a nice 800 by 800 or 1000 by 1000 or yeah. It, literally anything. Well, so I have two templates. One's the three thousand by three thousand, which is the one that you need for the like actual main cover. So I did the the new cover in that, because uh, otherwise Apple Podcasts won't accept it. Yeah. Um, and then I did one that's eight hundred by eight hundred, which is the like Pinecast. Yeah, most recommended. Yeah. Like, I think if you do that, you have a, like extremely high likelihood that it's going to show up on basically every. Yeah. Topic. So I um I've been meaning forever to like update that and then you got Photoshop again and I was like, well, you actually know anything about graphic yeah. design in a way that I don't. So Um Well that's a thing too where like I got it because I realized that I had to do cover art for the next season of Ghost Divers after Utena. Um and I had kind of been like making it work with the program whose name i don't want to say that i said multiple times previously but it ju- i just hate it yeah it feels so bad to say yeah <laughs> um so i'm not going to say it again but you know what i'm talking about um and i was just like i'm just gonna get photoshop and then instead of doing the ghost divers art which i did do eventually but instead i just immediately went like what if i just start doing ornate stairwells art <laughs> anyway all this to say that if you could find somewhere in the new stairwells like template format to uh just put in we're fujoshi brain somewhere yeah i think that i think that would really tie everything together yeah i'll definitely do that okay thank you um yeah we also the thing is once i have photoshop the like nice thing about photoshop is i can just iterate a lot faster on in it so i just like there was a day where i was just sending you like Here's 20 different cover art things that I did. I did like experiments with different ones. That was, like... a, that was the thing about Pixlr also was that every now and then I would send you like five options for episode art. Most of the time I didn't because with Pixlr, I couldn't do control S. Um, I couldn't even do like control E to like export. I had to like go click save, like title it, watch an ad, download it. Yeah. send it to you and so every now and then i would send you like some options but most of the time if i sent you something i was like if she sends this back i am gonna kill her <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah and so we landed on uh this is kind of a mix of the the design that you had that was yeah your favorite and then the one that was my favorite which yeah. is it's mostly your design the one that you liked more with the but font i did the liked. font that i liked which is a little bit gothamy but yeah it's I, not my fault that batman the animated series is referencing the same old like, yeah 
film <laughs> hand painted titles that I wanted to reference. Yes. Um, but I like also how what we've ended up in because the one that that you enjoyed was the one that is kind of doing like an homage to like DVD box yes. art stuff. Yes. Um, and so now we have this like mismatch of like DVD box art. Mm-hmm. with old hand-painted titles, and I kind of like that weird mishmash for yeah. like, what this podcast is. So. Yeah, I do too. Um, anyway. Long tangent about something that doesn't matter for a Fujoshi brand. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, Man, you sent me that picture of Ikuni in a Sailor Moon outfit, and we went full... <laughs> I you're shaking your head because you sent that to me with like we can't talk about this on a podcast and I'm talking yeah. about it on a podcast but yeah <laughs> I also sent you the clip from so in Sailor Moon some of the staff will put in jokes about like other members of the staff um and the the joke about Ikuni is like going around trying to hit on women and then also like the the verb is like conspicuously um covered up and so it's also unclear if it's being revealed that the girl that he was hitting on is a new half or if he is the new half. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's like a, a joke going on there as well. Specifically referring to like Ikuni going and We're either hitting on a trans woman or being trans. We um, are so Fujoshi. <laughs> <laughs> I got bad time. I got to the end of the second volume of the Utena manga, and there's a part where Ikuni's like, "Yeah, I, you know, the end of this is like really the the dream that I had when I was in high school of the life that I would want to live." Mm-hmm. Uh, but unlike Utena, I did not, you know, this this dream of like two sure. girls in love is yeah. the life that I wanted to have in high school. But unlike Utena, I did not break out of the box of the world that adults made. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, all right, Ikuni. <laughs> um, anyway, that's the most Fujoshi brain I'm going to talk about, Ikuni. That's just a, that's what our t- texts have been. Like, that was everything we said we shouldn't say on a podcast. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I did say on a Ghost Divers podcast very briefly that I think that Olive Clamp is just a lesbian bollycule, which I we do did, also think. That one, I feel, is less arguable. <laughs> Those five women live together and own cats together. I don't know. Whatever's happening is not heterosexual. Um, They all change their names together at the same time. Yeah. Um, You know, just as like like a fun anniversary for the group, Clamp. (laughs) The the manga group that we have. uh, For our anniversary as a group of mangaka. (laughs) Anyway, I watched Crimes of Passion by Ken Russell. Um, notably Crimes of Passion, not Crime of Passion, which, um, so the reason why I watch this is some fans, they're going back to erotic thrillers. I'm excited because I generally like erotic thrillers more than teen movies. Um, is that why they watched Election? Because it was a teen movie? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But there's a part where, like, I think towards the end, they were just, like, looking for movies that they wanted to watch that had teens in it so mm-hmm. they could say it was a teen movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was just like, no, they just need to switch it up. But I thought maybe they would move on to something else and instead they just went right back to erotic thriller. But I'm happy. I like, again. Bugs Bunny meme. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> I think I think they even I think on lock on uh, his locked Alex did the I have to go back to the old Bugs Bunny meme. But anyway, uh, the first movie that they watched was Crimes of Passion. Um, 
they were talking about it. It sounded interesting. Uh, sounded like it's a little bit more um, artful than sometimes these erotic thrillers can be. So I decided to check it out. Ken Russell. Um, I'm going to look up that name. I feel yeah. like I know that name. Um, I don't think I was hot on it as the swim fans boys were. Um, I think my read's a little bit different. Um, I, I think there's this argument being made. So the basic plot of it is like, um, I would say there are three main characters. One of them is this preacher who like goes to sex shows, um, and, you know, is like envisioning the, the sex workers dead basically. Um, and it's like this homicidal, you know, representation of, of like repressed sexuality under Christianity or something. Mm-hmm. Um, then there is, um, China blue, who is a, a woman who, um, by day is a fashion designer and by night, um, you know, her, her like f- name as a fashion designer is Joanna, but then by night she like puts on a wig and outfit and becomes China blue and is a sex worker. And, um, is like extremely good at her job as a sex worker where, um, you know, she can just like play up exactly what the client wants, mm-hmm. whatever the John wants. Um, and then there is this guy whose name I forgot, but it's just like the most, oh, I was going to tell this joke. I was going to say the most hat guy. I'm going to quick do this diversion. Um, so I, my family's from, um, like Europe and I grew up in the Midwest. Um, and so there's just like, there, I didn't like grow up around people who like really had a very heavy Southern accents. Mm-hmm. Um, cause like nobody ever moved to the small town that I was living in from like, you know, the deep South or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was in, uh, undergrad, I had a friend who's very Southern mm-hmm. and she would say het up all the time, <laughs> meaning heated up. Yeah. I, I found out Many but for a really long time, up. for a really long time, I thought that what, what that phrase meant was like a uh, het guy. <laughs> like someone is like behaving like an aggressive heterosexual man. Um, Anyway, um, he's this extremely het guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a wife, but they never fuck anymore, and he's all upset about it. Um, and if I if I'm to read into this, I would say Ken Russell is perhaps seeing himself as this man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the end of the 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 movie is, I think, what they are doing is they're setting up this thing of like the extreme like repressive uh form that's like this like christian form um and this like extremely promiscuous like um you know slutty whatever thing are just two sides of the same uh coin of like man this is why like a a good honest married husband just can't get laid by his wife is because of like repressed sexuality and then this like the only way that it gets expressed is through this like extreme and i think in his mind bad Mm. they talk on some fans that they think that like 
she's like very in control of everything. And I think it starts out being pre- presented that way. But I think as it progresses, she's like, there are scenes that are meant to show that she feels demeaned by what she's doing, even as she's like clearly choosing to do this. Uh-huh. Um, it's kind of fucked up in that way. <clears throat> um, so yeah, I found it far more aggressive, I think, than they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and the symbolic ending, uh, this is one of the other reasons why I wanted to watch it, because they didn't talk at all about the weird transgender stuff happening here. Mm-hmm. But the end is the the married husband who falls in love with China Blue. Because um, he's like afraid he's going like, to go through a divorce and everything, and then sleeps with her one night, and then just completely falls in love with her. Um, and we're supposed to believe that this is a legitimate love that they both have mm-hmm. for each other. Mm-hmm. Which again, I, I didn't really buy into this. But anyway, he's going and he's like, hopefully going to save her. Um, and then he sees what he thinks is China Blue sitting and is like looking, trying to see what's going on. And then turns around and sees what he thinks is the preacher about to stab her with this like sharpened vibrator that he has. Um, but it turns out that the preacher's dressed like China blue with the wig and the, the dress mm-hmm. and that she's wearing the preacher's clothes mm-hmm. and she kills the preacher mm-hmm. and then he dies. And then she can be um, the good loving wife where they have hot sex with the heterosexual man. Okay. That's the end of the movie. Okay. And to me, I don't think that this is doing nearly as much. Like, I think they are playing at the tropes that you would see in especially uh, Psycho, because the preacher, I think, is also the same actor as the the Psycho guy. Oh, really? Um, I believe. I'd have to double check that. But um, if not, he's, like, playing extremely similarly, um, just in terms of, like, some of the, the moments. But anyway, um, I don't think they're they're going into quite the, like, weird trans stuff. That, like, Psycho does. I think they're just, like, playing at Psycho as a trope now. Mm. Um, but uh, still doing this message of just, like, what we need to do is we need to kill both, like, the repressive thing, and then that will also kill the, like, the slutty, promiscuous sex, and then we can have, like, good hot sex within a marriage. Um, so... That's how I ended up reading. The thing is, when you watch a lot of erotic thrillers, is that, like, often this is kind of the end message, is that some guy's making it about how, like, man, if only he got laid the right way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I was just kind of hopeful with this, with the way that they talked about it, and I don't think this is actually that different from a lot of other ones. Okay. It sounds but interesting, it's still, though. It's still, it's, like, really well shot, especially mm. for, for, like, you know, this genre. Yeah. Um, a big thing when I was watching it, because there's so much stuff where there's like these um, moving on to Emma soon. There are these like shots where it's like that's really intense. Killer, huh? It kind of is uh, these like really intense, like pinks and greens or something. Right. But this is like before digital video filmmaking and before like really heavy, like color grading. And so it's literally just like we have lights in this room. But all of the shots are like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it's funny watching it because it is just like this is what modern movies is trying are like are trying to look like, and here it's like just done so low budget of like so low budget for film. Yeah, of like it's just like gels on lights. Yeah, and stuff. 
This is some of the feeling I had watching Suspiria, you know? Yeah. Like, this is the look that so much stuff is trying to go for now, but they come by it so much more honestly in Suspiria. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway. Anyway. Shall um, we move on to another kind of erotic thriller? Emma. I feel like erotic thriller is like a somewhat codified genre, and I feel like Emma is a thriller that is erotic, but I don't know if it's like... It's not basic instinct. Yeah, so like, you know, if people go back and listen to whatever episode I talked about Emma in 2021, let me like see if I can click find this. Um, I talked about, this is episode 12. I talked about watching it and like you you called on the phone in the middle of me watching it. And yeah. I was like, I don't know what this movie is. And then eventually I kind of figured out what this movie was. Yeah. Um, kind of, but I still think it's like playing with genre. And I think on that episode, I talked about how, like, if you go and look up this movie on like IMDb or whatever for genres, it's like musical romance, horror, <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, All those I, are true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I, this movie like flits between genres in a way. Yeah. But I feel like in some ways the core is this like, is it kind of being a thriller and it, there's like yeah. a little bit of like erotic. Yeah. Erotically charged or, thriller stuff. Yeah. Not nearly as many sex scenes in this as in Crimes of Passion. Okay. There are moments of that movie where I'm like, Am I just watching a porno right now? <laughs> um, I guess movie, they had to they had to recut it twice to try and get it down from an X rating. This movie, um, on the flip side, until late in the movie, I was like, are they going to actually show the fucking, or are they just going to imply it every time? And then at some point, people start fucking in Emma. But yeah. for a while, I was like, are they just going to cut away every time? Because that doesn't feel like the energy of this movie. <laughs> um, oh, Crimes of Passion, I gave a C. For sure. So, yeah. Um, there are two main stairs. Um, neither of them were, were that impressive, but I liked them slightly more than the ones in noon. So, <laughs> got that joke in one last time for you. Thank you. Are you really proud of your joke? It went so far. The first time, kind of funny, I guess. The second time, oh, haha. It's funny that I brought it back. And now we've beat it to death and i feel pretty good about that yeah there's just a moment where i went from being exasperated by it to fully adopting it just because it made it funnier if i kept it going thank you um anyway emma 29 uh 2019 movie directed by pablo Larraín. um a chilean movie yes yes okay um I want to. This could have been a co-production, but it's like set in Chile. Yeah, I want to summarize this movie, and I want to come at it backward. Maybe. Yeah, this is a movie that, um, if you start at the end, is a lot easier to explain than if you were to try and go scene by scene. Yeah, I, I would, I would really recommend to either. Pause this. If you have not seen Emma, I would recommend you either like pause this podcast right now and go watch Emma or just like let go of in your heart that like some of the some of the like trick of this movie I'm about to like lay out for you. Yeah. Um, We're going to spoil this movie and I... I said this is someone who often is like, I don't care about spoilers, but like, 
this this movie does like a trick yeah in the the way that it structures things and the way that it like ends everything and it ties things together it fe- that like... is hard to predict but also all the all the pieces are there there's like um, six different plot lines and you don't know how they're gonna connect back you don't know if they're gonna connect back and so i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna start at the end to sort of like fill all this in yeah. But kind of for myself, because it's a there's some stuff that's a little like ambiguous still at the end, and so I just want to like talk about it with someone who's seen this movie twice now and just yeah. like make sure I'm understanding it right. You know? But I, I would say that like more so than even just like some stuff where it's just like, oh, this is the surprise at the end. I think that some of the intention of this movie is the like weird uncertainty that you have around like, what is this? What is even going on? Like, I thought I knew what this film was. I don't know what this film is anymore. Now I'm starting to get a sense of it. Wait, something else is happening. What, why the mm-hmm. fuck is this happening? Yeah. Um, I think that that's like an intentional part of the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that is, this is one where I'm like, again, I'm generally a kind of person who's like, spoil me on whatever. It'll make it more interesting to me. If that's still you and you still want to just keep listening, you haven't watched this film, go right ahead. Just want to like cards but on the like, table for you. you even know? me being someone who really doesn't care about spoilers. This is something where I'm kind of glad that I watched it. I had no fucking idea what it was going to be. And yeah. then got into it and I was just like, that was, that went places. And I had no idea how it was going to end. And now I watched it being like, I know how all of this goes together and it all makes perfect sense. <laughs> okay. So. Emma. Is that's your spoiler warning. We're going now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and summarize this as best I can, because like I say, there's some ambiguities that I want to clear up a little bit. <clears throat> Emma is a dancer in a sort of like artsy sort of thing this this does not matter i mean it, the part, it, the part it does, of it that, but... that matters is that so the like director her husband played by gail garcia Bernal, is a director who's like has you know a different vision for like what the dance troupe should be than maybe what emma has that's what yeah. matters here maybe and that and that she has like her group of girlfriends her literal group of five girlfriends, because they yeah. show up and I was like, oh, haha, ha, that's her five girlfriends. And then they start fucking. I'm like, oh, that's her yeah. five girlfriends. OK, yeah, it's the I was intentionally playing at the ambiguity between do you mean straight girls seeing girlfriends or do you mean they date and they fucking girlfriends? Um, and the movie does start with. Oh, it's just a bunch of girls who are really close. Yeah. This is a little bit gay. Like, we're watching it being like, this is gay. Yeah. I was watching the first time being like, this is kind of gay. And then they start fucking, and you're like, oh. Oh, okay. Okay. okay this is, yeah, this is gay. <laughs> this is gay. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so that's just important for like how those characters relate. Yes. So Emma and um, Gaston um, are married. Um, and they have adopt they adopted a child, Polo, um, and then there were you know Polo was an orphan and he had a lot of like you know troubles and issues and they end up uh, he, Polo ends up like trying to burn the house down 
Um, he pours a bunch of gasoline on Emma's like sister's alcohol or something. Yeah, alcohol or... on Emma's sister's face, and then like sets Emma's sister's face on fire. Um, and this is one of the big and things. And also, I think that this is happening after they've given Polo up, mm-hmm. back up for adoption. That they then find that like he like put a cat in the freezer or something. Yeah, that he, like, killed the family cat by, like, putting it in the freezer. Yeah. Um, so he's having a lot of, like, emotional issues. They give him back up for adoption. Who wants to do this is somewhat unclear. It seems like Emma didn't want to. Yeah. But also there are weird arguments where sometimes it seems like maybe she was the one who did. This is the part that I maybe wanted the most clarification on, and I'm... I guess I'm glad to hear you say that you also are not clear on it because like she kind of wanted to, but she didn't, but she did. And then like, you know, obviously as the viewer, you're like, well, yeah, the vibe that I get. So, so much of it too, is that like, we never see the part where they actually give the, like it, the movie starts with after they've given Polo up for adoption. Um, and like, for most of the film, you don't see this child. Mm-hmm. Um, you do briefly see the child in one shot, and then ver- at the very end, yes. you see him again. Um, and in that first shot, you could very easily not even realize that that's him or be mm-hmm. like, what's going on there? Um, but anyway, um, I think this is significant because so much of what you then get about what happened is through arguments that people are having with each other. Mm-hmm. Um and so well, everyone like, is saying the worst things yes, to each other. They're yes. like trying to hurt each other and they're saying the worst things. And so, and they are also blaming each other for what happened. Yeah. I didn't want to give him up. I was going to love him anyway. I gave him up because you wanted it. No, no, no. I didn't want to give him up. You wanted to. That yeah. sort of thing. Um, yeah. Um, there's like a social worker who comes in at some point and was like, I was trying to work with both of you and you both were shitty. I almost think the the social worker is like as close to a person who's right here as you can get as just like both of you fucked up. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> um, but then I, she's also like when she when she's shouting at Emma that like I don't think you have what it takes to be a mother. I'm mm-hmm. like fuck you. Yeah. No, no, no. This I is also think... coming me from like yeah. from my perspective of like being a mom. Yeah. Um, which is one of the reasons why I kept thinking about this film because it it is dealing in interesting ways with like stuff is extreme in this mm-hmm. in a way that is not realistic to my life or anything. Yeah. But there are like in its extremity, it is dealing with emotions that I think probably a lot of moms have, but that also I especially have as like a queer trans mom where I just feel like I'm more judged about like being a bad mom and like people thinking that you're not fit to be a mom and things. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, back to so, you trying to summarize. And so, so the, like we said, the movie starts after that. And this is where I'm going to jump way, 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 way ahead because the movie starts with arguments about, you know, they've given up polo. What does this say about them as people? Like everybody, like, 
Emma is ostracized from various social groups because, you know, they gave up Polo and, um, you know, Gaston is ostracized from different ones for different reasons. And these are very gendered things. That's where we start the movie. And then you get a bunch of stuff that seems unconnected in yeah. many ways. And a lot of them seem to be like, oh, Emma's just like sleeping around with literally everyone. Yeah. And Every setting single things character. on fire for some reason. Yeah. Um. And at the very end of the movie, there is a literal like parlor scene. But instead of the detective explaining, like I figured out who who done it, it is Emma explaining what her machinations are. And so I'm going to explain her machinations now as best I can, which is that Emma, um, by way of that social worker, found out what family end up ended up adopting Polo. Emma finds out that um, the mother of this family is a lawyer and that the father is a firefighter. Um, and so she starts setting fires around town to sort of like see if she can like get that fire, that particular like firefighter's attention, get him to respond to a call, you know, and then when he does, you know, worms his way, worms her way into his life. And very it basically seduces him. It seduces him with the help of her five girlfriends. Like, you know, even if he's a good, moral, upstanding citizen, it's very hard to be a good, moral, upstanding citizen when, like, six women are like, hey, we all want to fuck you. <laughs> yeah. So, that's happening. Um, she also starts divorce proceedings with um uh her husband to get in with the lawyer and she's like she goes to the lawyer like i can't possibly pay you in money but i could do your dishes or or cut your hair or or dance for you (laughs) you know yeah and then the lawyer like jokes about the dance and then she's like starts dancing on the table yeah yeah and and this is the moment where i was first watching it i was like what the fuck is this (laughs) yeah so she's sort of Separately seducing this firefighter and this lawyer. Crucially, the movie does not give you any indication that the the firefighter and the lawyer know each other, much less are married. Yeah. Aside from the one shot where it is the it is Polo, who you've not seen so far, so you wouldn't know it's him. Uh-huh. The firefighter and the mother, but they're seated in a way where you can kind of like I could see it and be like, that's definitely them. But they're kind of, I think, like, faced a little bit, like, just turned enough away from the camera. Yeah. That if you, like, aren't really paying attention, and you also haven't, like, really gotten to see these characters yet. Yeah. Um, it's very easy to just be like, what was that shot where she, like, went and looked at some happy family? Well, and, and I thought, I didn't connect that guy to being the firefighter, but I was like, is that the lawyer? Yeah. But one, that shot's very quick. And, and two, so much of this movie is, like, deliberately, like kind of like spacey and like a scene will happen and then an indetermined amount of time will pass yeah and another scene will happen and you're gonna like what's the connection here yeah and well i also think that shot is is short enough that it's very hard when you're seeing it for the first time to take in all three of them because i saw it and when i first watched it i was like oh is that polo yeah that's she did she like see her son yeah and this is just whoever the couple is. Yeah. 
and then did not connect it to what's happening with the right because you get the like the here's the just like attorney for divorce proceedings and you're like oh yeah so so yeah basically her plan is she like sort of separately she's going to seduce the the firefighter guy yeah her initial plan is just that she's gonna get pregnant with the firefighter guy and then because he'll want to be in the life of his son or daughter and then she'll be able to be close to polo because they'll be like Yes. Siblings. Also, crucially, um, the Emma's husband, the director, is like infertile. Yeah. So she's like, I'm going to go get pregnant with the firefighter's kid so that, yeah, like you say. Yeah. And then she also kind of separately is like, gets herself involved with the lawyer to sort of further become part of the family and she's also attracted to the lawyer but she's also like playing the lawyer yeah and like just the i will say by the end of the movie the relationship that she builds up with the lawyer feels the most genuine i think so too i think so too. like the but moment I... where everyone is kind of upset when it's revealed where like she picks up polo from school or well there's a whole other thing a, a whole yeah. other thing we'll get there uh but and then like goes with like gaston haircut they go and meet the parents Everyone in that first shot seems kind of upset about what's going on. And then she goes after the lawyer and is uh-huh. like comforting her. Yes. Yes. Yeah. She doesn't go to comfort her husband. She doesn't go to hum- comfort the firefighter. She goes to comfort the lawyer lady. Yeah. Which I think is a, a small, important yes. detail. Yes. For sure. Um, I, that, that whole scene is so good of like, you know, um, so, so the, the sort of the last piece of this puzzle is that, um, like, um, Emma's also, is Emma, this the Emma's a dance instructor part? Emma, Emma's a teacher. And so like when she gave up Polo, like isn't fired, but like loses her job, like is like pushed Can, into yeah. like resigning from her job. Um, as a Which, dance teacher, especially watching it this time and knowing that this movie is going to deal a lot more with like queerness stuff, I think it's very significant that in that whole conversation, it's all just like, well, how do we explain to the kids what's going on? Yeah, how do we like we have. So I'm many just worried about parents. the kids. We're worried about you know yeah. what they might think and the impressions that people might have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, well what sort of message this send to this chi- to the children that, you know, you could just be given up like Polo was, you know, this sort yeah. of thing. So she is not fired, but she is, you know, has to find a new job. She finds a job uh, teaching dance at the new school that Polo is going to. Yeah. I think she works that job for less than a day. <laughs> yeah. It's also very funny, the scene where um, she's like kind of using your seduction powers on just the principal. Yes. And the principal is one of the funniest characters in this entire movie to yeah. me because she's just like, I don't want to be seen as like strict. I don't want to, I don't mm-hmm. want to, I want pe- don't want people to think about me as like an authoritarian. And the last music teacher did these folk dances and they, I felt like it was old. It was so old fashioned. And like, when you just do that kind of strict stuff, it like encourages people to rebel. So can you like do dances about freedom? Hmm. So that the students won't rebel, basically, Emma, is what she's saying. I find it really funny. <laughs> Emma, just by being like, sort of, sort of blue hairs and pro- blue hair and pronouncey, 
you know? Yeah. Blonde sort of, hair and pronouns, but like, sort of, yeah. Sort of a Ramona Flowers just gives her like vampire eyes, basically, where she'll just like look at you and seduce you. And yeah. now you've like fallen into her spider's web. <laughs> yeah. Um, she also does this like somebody has to. <laughs> Somebody has to, like, give her an evaluation, like, to make sure that she's fit to be a teacher, and she just, like, does her, like, seduction eyes at him, and she yeah. passes. <laughs> yeah, even though he's like, why didn't you draw any people in the house that you were asked to draw? Why is there no food? There's a list of things that are supposed to be here, mm-hmm. and I'm supposed to grade it, and she's just like... Um, it was funny watching it this time, because there was definitely a moment the first time that I watched it where I was like, is this just a horror movie where she's just, like, a vampire or something? And one of the big moments was there's the one with her her sister, um, whose face was burned, mm-hmm. and, like, you know, everybody else is like, oh, they're gonna ask us to donate blood, I don't want to donate blood. And I was just like, I will give, like, a liter of blood. And they're like, that's too much. And she's like, it's my blood, I can do what I want with it. <laughs> 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 I was like, that's that's some vampire shit to say. You know? I had I had a similar thing where I was like, is she a witch and this is all preparing an elaborate spell? Yeah. I wasn't wrong about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she does have like a certain magical quality. Even yeah. if their magical quality is she's just like so hot and gay that no one can resist her. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, basically she gets pregnant and she has enmeshed herself with Polo's new adoptive family so that even if she is not, you know, legally Polo's guardian anymore, like, her life is so thoroughly enmeshed with the lives of these other people that they're just stuck here. Um, and um, she just wins. She just gets everything that she yeah. wants. She's now a mother of two. Yeah. The end um, is, like, her being the mom to both kids. Yeah. Um, the lawyer seeming somewhat content and happy as she watches Emma play and drink coffee. And then, um, the tone and the, the firefighter in the kitchen looking at each other like, what the fuck? How did we end up in a queer polycule? (laughs) Do we need to start fucking? (laughs) Okay. Two quick things. One, I forgot to mention a moment that I, I loved so much in the, I think from here we can just talk about the whole movie broadly because yeah. there's a lot going on in this movie. But there, there was the specific scene where she's like revealing, like she's taken Polo out of school, she's given him a haircut, and she's now taking him back to the lawyer and the um, the firefighter and like telling them what happened basically. Or she's Polo's there, and so she's not saying it, but you know she's making very meaningful eye contact, and everybody here understands what's going on. And the moment that, like, the lawyer asks, like, you know, how far along are you? And um, Emma says 16 weeks. And then, like, looks at the firefighter, looks at lawyer. <laughs> like, he's been cheating on you for four months. Yeah. <laughs> Is just devastating. It's yeah. so good. <laughs> Um, one of the other little funny moments too is where the firefighter is still trying to like play it cool and is like, nice to meet you. <laughs> and she's like, nice to meet you. I have your baby in my tummy. <laughs> um It's incredible the moment that like Emma like sees both of them together, the the game is up for both of them. They're both just like, oh god, I'm not gonna be able to like look at her and have my partner not know that I was cheating on her, but they don't know for like 30 seconds that like, 
oh my god we were both cheating on him. <laughs> um yeah i guess the other big things that we didn't mention in the synopsis because they're not like plot that plot significant <clears throat> one you did mention the like burning stuff but there's just a lot of shots of like stuff on fire yes um and like her walking around with her flamethrower uh, there's also lots of shots of her and all of her girlfriends dancing reggaeton. Mm-hmm. And this is like another thing of like, um, uh, Gaston, um, like the director is like, I don't want you dancing like, uh, reggaeton music because like the, I don't like the, you know, very specific rhythms of reggaeton. I like, you know, the sort of more freeform stuff that we do. Um, I like, you know, you know, the, the, the rhythms are just another prison, just like he goes real Foucault on them. And it's like, you know, society, it's, it's not just like being in prison, but society is a prison. Gender is a prison. Rhythm is a prison. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Like men are supposed to do this and women are supposed to do that. Yes. Um, And then also he's the most like. This is what men are supposed to be, and this is what women are supposed to be character in the whole movie. Yeah, because so like, he'll often, like, expose these things of just, like, well, it hurts more when you reject him because, like, you're a woman, and that's, like, women are supposed to be the ones who accept yes. and, like, mother the kids. So, like, yes. it doesn't hurt when I reject him. That's, like, what dads do, but, like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just, like, he's yeah. He is the mo- biggest piece... Somehow... Yeah, I hate him so much. I'm not going to say that Emma is like a good person, but when you compare her to him, oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh yeah. But yeah. So then, and then her, her girlfriend who is, you know, doing the reggaeton dancing uh-huh. when there does this whole thing of like, no, you don't understand it. Like you're just a tourist basically. Uh-huh. Um, you come here, like, you think that you, you like, know what the streets are like, but your idea of the streets are this, like, image of the streets a hundred years ago that isn't even true, and mm-hmm. you dress it up to look like Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's not even, like, the streets that we're on. The streets that we're on is, is reggaeton, and it, you know, I like it because it's, like, you know, having orgasmic. sex and having an mm-hmm. orgasm, and now you can dance that. Mm-hmm. Um and there's a, there's a lot of there are two big like music montages in this movie. The the second one I really liked a lot. I like I liked I liked all the sort of like musical interlude things. But there's one right after this argument of like um it's weird Emma being a dancer is such a huge part of this movie and also like inconsequential to the plot I think in that like her being a dancer does not relate to the seduction of these two people but also I think it is like the most like I think her dancing and like what this dancing expresses is like so key to what the movie is it's not plot important but it's very thematically important yeah so the, the, the second maybe the third I don't know anyway like there's this big musical interlude of like just her and her girlfriends, like, you know, really embracing like a lot of reggaeton dancing that is dim- like different than what they were doing before. And I don't even know 
where they're doing this, if they're making any money doing this. I don't think so. Anyway, it doesn't matter. They're just, like, dancing on rooftops. And they're things. just dancing on rooftops and shit. They also have, like, a side thing where they, like, do manicures and hair and stuff, and so I assume that's how they actually make money. Yeah. It doesn't matter. They just dance to have fun. Yeah. But they're, like, dancing and setting shit on fire and having sex, and it just, that, in some ways, feels like what the whole movie is, is, like, you know... um, you could, at the start of the movie, you have this, like, very, like, heterosexual life. Like, a man and a woman get married, they have a child. And that that is, like, broken by this, like, giving up of the child. And, you know, giving up the child is, like, a horrific thing, and they regret doing yeah. it. But also, it is able to lead them into, you know... Like, the way that she, like, recreates a family and it is a different type of family is through, like these aggressive and often like very queer yes, things. Yes. Um, yeah. Th- this is like one of the things that um, I, st- I still don't know like exactly how I feel about all the stuff that it's doing, but I do just find it fascinating as again, like being a queer trans mother mm-hmm. and the way that like, being a mom in particular just gives me this sense of like um societal expectations around like what a mom is supposed to be and what a, a woman is supposed to be that like turned up all of my transgender feelings even more mm-hmm. um of like you know my turf harasser like made a big deal of how I call myself a mom mm-hmm. um that like there's like the sanctity of motherhood yes. that I am like threatening yes. or whatever. Um and this is not a movie about a trans woman, but it is about like an uh adoptive mother who is not mm-hmm. like a biological mother of this child. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I think the thing and again there's like some stuff in here where I, I oscillate between uh this is a horror movie and Emma is the monster and often lean a little bit more towards no she's the hero of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um because we get all like there's this thing that happens with this like fracturing of this like heteronormative family structure and then the movie seems to just evolve into like her just like having sex with every single character that you see in the movie basically yes yes um and then it is revealed that like all of this like expression that it you know is like queer and like highly sexual and everything is this, like, stuff that she is, like, doing specifically towards, like, being the only person who, like, seems genuinely invested in, like, I want to, like, have, like, Polo have, like, a good life. Yes. Um, and that's, like, there's there's some weird symbol stuff going on there where I don't know if it fully pulls all of it off in terms of, like, this is the perfect movie about what it's like to be a queer mom because it's, it's not. No. It's not like this. But... <laughs> There is a certain amount to which, like, I think this movie arrives at something that that I feel sometimes, which is that, like, there's stuff within the queer community around, like, motherhood that is specifically, or around, like, being a parent. There's specifically around that, like, this idea, it is this, like, rejection of, like, ideas of futurity that's, like, no, queerness is, like, the absence of children, basically. Um, and this is a, a film that's like trying to challenge some of that as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there are like 
other ways that you can arrive at like children and family that is not just like this purely heteronormative heterosexual yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and that's part of what's happening in this movie, but also it's just a very bizarre movie. Yes. That, yes. Um, I've just have thought about a lot since I watched it. And just, I was like, I want someone else to watch this movie and talk about it with me. Yeah. <laughs> it's really the, the thing. The way that I summarized it, you know, I think it was like, I think it was best for the podcast, but like, the the actual thing that is remarkable about this movie, I think, is not just all this, you know, like, you know, these, like, queer themes and, and, you know, this, like, thriller stuff. The actual thing is that you're, like, watching this, like, for, you know, 100 minutes just being like, what's going on? And, yeah. like, the way that this movie sort of, like, gradually, like, unfolds itself. It's like a perfect little origami crane at the start and then it's like okay we're gonna show you how you know we did this part we show you like and everything until you finally see the whole thing and you're like oh my god that's how it all connects it's so good yeah and there there's this weird like there's this moment where it feels like it's just pure anarchy Mm. she's just setting fires she's just you know having multiple affairs everything and then in the end it's like oh no it all comes down to like she just wants to be a good mom mm-hmm. and there's just such a weird yeah there's just such a weird like trick to pull yeah yeah <laughs> that's it's kind of remarkable yeah i um, think so um one other just to if you have more on this, but one thing I wanted to talk about was a little bit the aesthetics and also that like... Yeah, totally. No, that's where I wanted this to go is a, Yeah, too. this is a digital video ass video. One thing I, I want to say, and I like... Last week we did Love Brood in an African Pot. This week we're doing Emma. Um, a thing is that like, I kind of rail on digital video, but I also want to acknowledge that like, digital video stuff has opened up filmmaking to... a. Uh, like lower budget and thus like more diverse mm-hmm. groups. Mm-hmm. Um, like love brood in the African pot was an extremely difficult movie to make. I'm sure mm-hmm. uh, it was hard to get the resources. It was probably hard to even just get the film shooting on film requires lighting and requires specialized like skills and lighting that like we talked about how bad the night scenes look and it's because like they just didn't have the skills of how to light it and mm. also probably the lights to properly do it and so they shot in the dark and they're like you can hardly see this and so when they made heritage of africa he's probably just like no night scenes <laughs> like <laughs> we gotta we gotta use the light that we have mm-hmm. um because film is just incredibly expensive mm-hmm. the process of shooting on film is expensive uh, in and of itself and then there's so much that's involved in making film look good um, and digital video makes it a lot easier. Uh-huh. Um, and the thing that I get really frustrated with is that like Hollywood movie, like Marvel movies are more expensive than movies have ever been. Yes. And they're shooting on digital video and they're just putting all of it into these special effects. And it just, it, it ends up being something that just looks like shit to me. Yes. And I'm like, why are you spending all of this money and Ooh. so much of it, too, is, like, offloading it onto, like, out of, like, long historically unionized labor and putting it into mm. stuff where they can, like, more exploit people because there aren't, like, unions built up around some of these CG yeah. stuff. And, yeah. like, it's all of those things that are going into it that, like, builds into, like, my my 
hatred around like this general style but then i watch something like this and i'm like i'm glad that digital video exists and that people can make movies more easily now yeah and they don't need it like really expensive lighting rigs you can literally just shoot on the street with a camera while people dance reggaeton um and make a movie that's like interesting and compelling to me and i'm not saying that this is a low this mo- movie seems like it has a decent budget this mm-hmm. is an established director um but there's other like there are just more films coming out from smaller countries. Now. Yes. And yes. Um, that's an exciting thing. And so whenever I rail on digital video, I don't want to like, I want to be specific that I'm railing on like how Hollywood movies now handle digital, digital video and not what it like means more broadly, which yeah. is that in some ways it is decolonizing some of film. Yeah. For a lot of countries. I, um, you know, one, I think this movie looks really good. Yeah, they're also. using this stuff. There are moments where I'm like, I I think to some degree that this like highly colorized, highly color graded thing is going to feel dated in a way. Yes, in a while, like I, it's not going to stay this way. Yeah, there's a there, you know, um, in the way that like we watched, um, I'm trying to think of like, we watched some stuff from the 2000s. What was the I feel like there was a big one. Hero. <laughs> Hero does this. Um... Hero is like doing it to a purpose, though. Hero is like yeah. playing it up so much that it's like. Um, what? Sh- oh, City of God. That was the one where there, it was. Yeah, it was so clearly. And it was just especially funny because we also watched In the Mood for Love, which is like, uh-huh. you know, two years prior and just look so much remarkably different. Um, but yeah, there, this is a, like, and I'm not, I'm not just picking on Emma here. Lots of films look like this right now. And I just think it's a, a filmmaking style that's not going to last, but it works so much better here. Yeah. So, so, um, there's like, this is like trend that everybody talks about, like, you know, bisexual lighting. And I think it is a very popular thing right now, both in post and on set to like, you know, put a very like vibrant, you know, sort of key light, like a blue and then a, you know, fill light, like a, a pink and you go, you know, you get the quote unquote bisexual lighting effect. Um, or you get, um, and this movie does that sort of thing, not, you know, blue and pink, like that specific phenomenon, but like you get the people doing the, um, like, this movie has lots of really intense green lights and then intense like blue lights, like these very like very intense, like, you know, blue two fifty five, green zero, red zero sort of effects, yeah. you know? Um, and, um, <clears throat> I think it looks really good in this movie, but I also think that like, this is just not, um, I, yeah, I, I think it's going to look dated. It, yeah, ten years. I, from I now. was just looking at other movies oh, that we've done on the podcast, and um, not including some of the animation stuff, where this is a little bit different. Like the the only other like shot on film or video movie that we've watched that's been like from past what like two thousand three or something um, for this podcast was I Carry You With Me. Another thing where we 
I think that this looks a lot better than I Carry You With Me. I think I Carry You With Me looks like shit for reasons that have nothing to do yeah. with the color grading and nothing <laughs> to do with the... Di- I guess... It has to do more with the cinematography, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I really like the way... Real quick, because I was going to pivot slightly. I really like the way that this movie does, I think, very intentionally pivot often from like sort of softer more natural more realistic lights you know um oh we're all just getting like you know lunch at a diner and having an argument to you know very next shot like intense like blue like you know like not realistic not um or or lights that i see in the real world that are supposed to supposed to look fake like i you know used to live with someone who had like a big blue or a big like rgb like led light thing on the wall that he specifically had so that he could make the whole room like green or pink or whatever you know yeah i didn't Um, know that you lived with alex of some vans (laughs) (laughs) um and so it was a big thing on the wall but he definitely had mm -hmm. a a thing they could like strobe different colors and stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I think this movie is like intentionally like swinging back and forth between those two aesthetics in really interesting ways. Yeah. Um, the thing I was going to say that like, I thought I was just thinking about a lot, I guess, while watching this movie is that like, you know, it, David Lynch talks a lot about like, you know, being on set and weird accidents happen and you keep it in, you know, like Frank DeSilva is not supposed to be in Twin Peaks. He's just in the background of one, like a random ass reflection. He's in one shot and either like keep that, you know, yeah. let's put him in the show. Um, those sorts of things. Um, and I feel like because film is like a physical object and, you know, you have all your little silver halide crystals that can are arranged sort of randomly on the arranged sort of randomly on the film. Um, there is a sort of like spontaneity and organicness to film that sometimes like digital can't capture, I think, because like that, you know, blue light was this blue in this spot and it was this blue in this spot there's like a perfection to digital it's sort of like sometimes to me makes digital look less real because it's not as textured because it is like perfect in the way that like a cd is the sound exactly as it was recorded and a vinyl is a sort of like mediated sound through a physical medium you know um it it's also, it's a thing of, like, like, recently I talked about Pastoral, To Die in the Country. Mm-hmm. And that is a movie that has moments where, if you made it today, you would probably just color grade it, and you just have, like, really intense colors over here and over there. And what they had to do was, like, extreme chemical processing on the literal film. Yeah. Um, where it's just, like, no, this entire corner is just, mm-hmm. like this intense blue now mm-hmm. um, in a way that is like so much harder to control. Yeah. Um, and so the, it's like sometimes when that stuff got used in, in film too, it like became even more intensely like here's unreality happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is like literally like we are painting or like weirdly processing film. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this is like often like 
trying to preserve reality even as it is like like it almost falls into like uncanny valley i think is what i'm saying yeah sometimes digital film falls into a weird uncanny valley in the way that colors work yeah i think so too but i i I guess um but i think this is a movie that intentionally wants to play with uncanny valley stuff around it and that's why it works so well in this movie yes i think that like the thing here is that, like, we spend so much time railing against it, but the, the at the end of the day, when you put, like, a camera in, like, the hands of somebody who, like, has a vision, knows what they're doing, like, I think this looks really good, even if it's not, like, the very persnickety thing that I like, um, and that, like, I do think a lot of digital movies look like shit, because I think a lot of people just are, like, just, you know film shit <laughs> yeah. you know who cares there's there's a similar aesthetic between crimes of passion and emma uh-huh um and they're arriving at it at very different ways one is gels on lights and like really just garish wallpaper and lots of rooms uh-huh um and this and is like this leds like, and yeah. color grading <laughs> yeah um but yeah and it is just like interesting that you know because i think both of them are like playing with it in ways to, to like create. I wonder, I had never thought about this before. I wonder to what extent is our complaint also that like, not just digital versus film, but like, I imagine most film sets these days are lit with LEDs instead of incandescence because why in God's name, would you ever use an incandescent bulb in 2021? Yeah. (laughs) Um, and I wonder how much of this is us also just complaining about LEDs and they're not looking as like real as incandescents. Cause that is something that if I walk into a room, I, if I had to replace a light bulb in my apartment right now, I would put an LED in. But when I look at LED lights, I'm like, this is not a real light bulb. <laughs> um, this is some fake ass bullshit. <laughs> as someone who shot a lot, I'm, I'm LED does impart a different character. Like, Generally, it's a cooler light, mm-hmm. so you don't quite get that like same warmth. Mm-hmm. You have to like, and whenever whatever you're shooting with, like you can do any kind of, um, you know, color grading that you want. But there's still a certain amount of like what you shot if you're like still trying to work with that, and you're not like literally just changing pixels and like drawing on it yourself, which is just extremely time consuming. Um, what you have is going to push you in certain directions too. Mm-hmm. Um, or like if you shoot something that has like really cool colors, which are like blues and greens, it's going to be very hard for you to push that into a like warm red or orange or yellow tone um, and not have it look really bad because of like how much you, how much detail you're using, losing, especially in the contrast. Mm-hmm. Um, this is me like getting kind of in the weeds with some of this stuff, yeah, but, totally. but, and so if you're shooting with incandescent, that generally tends to be a warmer light. It's a little bit more yellowish mm-hmm. or a little bit more orange. Um, and so it adds like, like it's really nice in the home because it like gives you this cozy feeling, mm-hmm. right? Like it's, it gives you a little bit of like by the, the, the like fireplace mm-hmm. feeling. Um, LED lights tend to run cooler, which reminds you more of the sun and mm-hmm. being outside. Yeah. Um, which has a very different feeling than mm-hmm. just like a fire. Like, mm-hmm. the sun is different than just, like, a candle right. or a fireplace. Yeah, totally. Um, and it's kind of the difference between those lights. Yeah. Um, what's really awful, though, is uh, fluorescent lights. Oh, yeah. Because they have that flicker, which... Um, one is just fucking hell if you're shooting. 
video or film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like trying to shoot a TV. If you've ever done that, oh yeah, where you have to like time it to the way that the the bars are. Like you can do it if you manage to like sync them. Mm-hmm. You can you can shoot a TV without getting the bars going, but you have to have the refresh rate at the exact same rate of the TV. Yeah. Um, I always think about those like scenes of um the pilot of Twin Peaks in the hospital where I can't tell if they're like actually shooting in fluorescent hospital lights or if they're just so good at faking (laughs) terrible (laughs) because it looks horrifying yeah (laughs) but one is that it's a a flicker and the other thing is that fluorescent is actually a little green yeah which is just a really unpleasant light to like have her like it just makes everyone look sickly it just makes you feel sick i hate fluorescent so bad now imagine with me for a moment you're under a sickly green light and you have to reach in with tweezers under a dead yeah, girl's finger. Yeah, that works really well. Fluorescent <laughs> is really good for horror. Correct. It's also why when they put fluorescent bulbs in like offices, it makes people hate their jobs even more. <laughs> it's because it makes you feel like you're going to work in a, a horror factory. I, I once knew a guy who always cut um, a specific class i don't remember what it was i think maybe chemistry like he would not go to it because he's like listen i put up with the fluorescent lights because he was a drummer he was a mm-hmm. drummer this is the thing so he was very tuned into you know the refresh rate of the not the refresh rate but the flicker of the fluorescent light he's like listen i can tolerate it at school most of the day but in our chemistry classroom which is painted green i can't I cannot. <laughs> it makes me feel ill. <laughs> um, I was both a, a like art film school person and a drummer, so I'm just insufferable about fluorescent lights. <laughs> just insufferable. I hate them. They should be banned. Well, it also <laughs> should be illegal to put fluorescent lights, especially now that there's LED. Yes, that's the thing. Is that like I. They had a practical purpose for some time, but now that LEDs exist, there is no practical purpose to a fluorescent yeah. light other than, well, we have fluorescent lights, so why would we change them? Even though you can totally install LEDs into those same fixtures. Um, I work for an industrial supply company. I'm not going to oh. say the name of it. Um, one time I, w- I was doing some research into light bulbs and I found a company that makes LED lights that, are, that come in tubes and are meant to replicate the feel of fluorescent lights. And I was like... <laughs> What the fuck are you doing? Like, I want to, <laughs> I want to, like, murder everyone who made this company. <laughs> this is the worst idea in the world. <laughs> anyway. That's why, that's why that uh, new version of In the Mood for Love looks so bad. It's because it looks like everything is fluorescent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we've gotten so off topic. We're yeah. so off topic. Yeah, I really like the aesthetic of Emma. I really like, um... <coughs> You know, I think digital digital sometimes can feel a little lifeless, but I think like I think this is a director who like is aware of the way that like you lose some of that texture and is using the sort of like pixel perfection well, I think. Yeah. Um, And not just in the sort of like hyper exaggerated Suspiria lit scenes, but also in the like sort of naturally lit scenes. Sometimes I think the, sometimes I think what 
digital is worst at is what is supposed to look naturalistic. I always think about um, uh, Lincoln, the 2012 Spielberg movie, just looks atrocious to me because there's these yeah. like really intense like whites. Like I, I don't know the the lighting in that movie just looks really bad to me in a way that I've never been able to like verbalize. And also he's Steven Spielberg, so who am I to tell him he's wrong? But like, um, he's made some bad movies. So it makes him a great director. Yeah, no, I truly one of the all-time greatest directors, and it was also made some of the all-time worst movies. It, yeah, just how it is. Um, I don't. And I want to be clear: people who think that AI is one of them, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I should watch AI. <laughs> So much. I should watch it. It's one of my favorite Spielberg movies. I know I know you and Jackson both love it, and you and Jackson have pretty different tastes in a way that I'm like, how did okay, they both love this movie. <laughs> how do they both land on that? Okay, I gotta see that. <laughs> yeah. Um catch our our you know, right now we're kinda like going into repertory screenings territory. Uh-huh. Uh, but we're gonna do another movie podcast. We're gonna kinda get into Blockbusters territory and that's where we'll really do AI. Um That's oh. when we can do Blade Runner there possibly or here. Either works. Or we do Blade Runner on this podcast and then on our Blockbusters we're biting Blockbusters I'm... bit, we do twenty forty nine. Can I pitch you on something? Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're not doing this other podcast. No one expects this. This is the dumbest idea. I'll, I'll pitch you on something that we could actually do, which is that sometime, some months from now, we at least have everything scheduled out. We could start this as early as like May, probably. Yeah. Um, Even April, maybe? I, f- I forget how far this goes. Out. This is the... F- First of March, I think. Yeah, so episode 41, Eraserhead. Episode 42, something else. Episode 43, Elephant Man. Episode 44, something else. 45, Dune? Blue Velvet? Whatever. Who cares? Yeah. Just, like, alternate David Lynch stuff with um, regular stairwells things. And then once we get to Twin Peaks, watch it straight through take like a little tiny break as we do Inland Empire and, um, you know, the straight story and uh, Lost Highway and whatever, and then get back into doing Twin Peaks full time um, so that hopefully we're not stepping on Reprise's toes too much. <laughs> or we just wait yeah. until Reprise is done, but still, yeah. you know. Would this be just Stairwells becomes David St- Lynch? Stairwells... The the thing is that this is like the sort of like this is the sort of like halfway thing that like we cover all the David Lynch movies, but we don't we give ourselves like we're doing David Lynch every other week until we get to Twin Peaks. I don't want to do every uh, like spend yeah. twice as long on Twin Peaks. I feel like I would lose my mind if I'm just doing Twin Peaks and don't get to talk about movies. Yeah. I feel like I could do David Lynch build up to Twin Peaks podcast as part of Ornate Stairwells, but mm-hmm. I feel like we got to find the room in our life for another podcast to do. Yeah. <clears throat> or or at the very, very least, we watch season one of Twin Peaks and then we take a month off. Yeah. And we watch well, season two and we take a month off. Here's the thing I could see mm-hmm. is 
we do Twin Peaks podcast, Ornate Stairwells goes down to bi-weekly. Yeah. Um, as so, in like every other week. So every week Twin Peaks, every other week a Stairwells, which sometimes means two, you know. Okay. Okay. That can maybe work. Maybe work. We'll, we'll think we'll about it. We'll figure it out. We're both, because of Reprise, I think we're both getting pretty Twin Peaks brain. Yeah. And I... I need Molly. I, to see I had like a, I had like a minor breakdown about Twin Peaks this week. <laughs> well, you had a minor breakdown about Twin Peaks this week. I also, Regs, friend of the show, finished season three, and I had to be like, I can't talk to you about season three because I need Molly to see season three, and then I need Nia to see season three before I can truly like uncork the season three brain. Because that's yeah. that is who I am in my heart. You know, some people love the original part of Twin Peaks. Some people love Fire Walk with me. I am a season three person, but I have to keep a lid on it because there are people in my life who I don't want to spoil anything for. And so, uh, Molly's going to see season three before you do, which is fine. Who cares about that? I mean, I might just watch season three at some point, but yeah. Um, but but like. I just, I can, I can, I can feel it coming. I can feel that I want to talk about season three so bad. And I was like, oh, we'll do Twin Peaks in 2024 or something. Who knows? But I'm like, I want to talk about it so goddamn bad. <laughs> yeah. I also, we'll, we'll figure out when uh, Bag End is ending and we'll talk. Hmm. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Okay. Bag end is ending the week before the show starts, so September. So we do a tw- we do a David Lynch build up on ornate stairwells, and then September. <laughs> we'll see. Do you the other remember? the other thing is I again I think it's going to be a low commitment, but I still need to like figure out how pondering Puton fits into my life. Yeah, that's true. When does pondering Puton start? Um, let me double check. Um, in case you I don't check. know if I've I don't know if I've like specifically oh, yeah. mentioned on any podcast yet um, why we're not just starting Pondering Puton. The premise of Pondering Puton is that we are going to read through it at the the general rate that if you were reading it in Japan as it came out in the weekly magazines, the like chapters that you would read each week. I couldn't find a thing that was like directly lining up of like here's when every single chapter was released. Um, but I looked at the page, just like the lengths of the chapters. I looked at how stuff played out. Um, and I was able to kind of put together a thing that, that ends up starting and ending at the correct times. So I think it's the correct pace. And there's just like some, some moments where maybe they weren't in a, uh, magazine or whatever. Cause that'll mm. happen sometimes where, um, I've got some, we're going to do the bonus. Uh, so after we finish everything in a volume, we're going to do an episode where we just read the extra stuff in that volume. That's not like a specific chapter. Um, and then I also have some spots in here for some vac- like vacations, but we might move that around if we're just like, Hey, we're going to be out of town this week. Mm-hmm. Let's just do that vacation now. But I just kind of slot them in, but it will, it'll start. Um, so we'll have a, before, the actual like launch of it. We're going to have an introductory, but we're going to start reading. Now our first episode come out on August 3rd, 2022, 
which is like very close to we're releasing it on Wednesdays, which is when the the magazine comes out, the weekly magazine. Um, and it's like the closest to when the the comic started in Japan. Did Curl High um, run and jump or No, um it's not one of the like super big ones. Um I have uh, a copy of the one that it like ran it. It doesn't have Camarade High School. It was after it was done running, but it has more comics by the same guy. Um Weekly Shonen. Okay. Um, which is Kodansha. Okay. Um but yeah, so it'll it'll start We'll have a like first episode where it's like, hey, here's what we're doing. This is what this podcast is. Here's where you can find our spreadsheet of our like current plan. Um, then we'll start reading. First episode will be out August third, and we will read um, all the way through to uh, the last uh, episode. We're gonna do a <laughs> final retrospective, June fourteenth, twenty twenty eight. You love plans. Yeah, I've planned this podcast out to June 14th, 2028. You, like, planned out Bag End and stuff. M planned out Bag End. I didn't, I didn't do yeah, any of also that. Also, it was, like, a one-year podcast and not a... Five? Six? Six? Six. Six. I mean... Goofy, the whole point of it is just for Connor and I to hang out and, like, yeah. goof around instead of having serious discussions about anime every single time that we talk um, also, which we like doing but when that's like the only thing that you do as friends at a certain point there's a moment where you're like let's just do one more we that's why we have really long half hour mm-hmm. like post ed segments where we're just talking about squirting or whatever because <laughs> <laughs> we just want to joke around for a while you also have a ripcord which is oh, we don't like the format of this podcast. Let's just read each volume, do like, you know, s- yeah. 10 more episodes and then call it, you know? Yeah. Like, if you if you don't like this format, you can still just... You can pull a ripcord pretty easy. There's also a ripcord of... Um, if we are starting to... If we get to the end of the, the US releases, because this is one where um, ADV collapsed and nobody's picked up to f- publish the remaining volumes. So if we get to the end of the official English translations and we're like, we don't want to do the fan translations. Uh-huh. We can also end it earlier, but yeah. Um, we are so off the point now. It <sighs> was a really good movie. Yeah. I should put it in my letterbox. Um, it's one of my favorite movies of last year. Well, that I watched last year. Well, yeah, I, I feel um... like, it came out in 2019, but I feel like it was, like, it didn't really hit, like, U.S. festival and art house and stuff until um, really last year, I feel like. Yeah. Maybe, like, the very end of 2020. Or, yeah, 2020. Because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing happened. The whole the, kinda, there's a thing on. Yeah, it kind of interrupted a lot of yeah film stuff for a while, and now we're just going to. It's still happening. People are just fucking going to theaters. I really, I I'm so close to unfollowing the music box on on Twitter because I can't. The you have to see such and such in seventy 
you know, oh my God, I went and saw, you know, this three times. I, I cannot deal with it right now. And I know that the music box has good policies about even before Chicago put in the mandate that you have to have vaccine cards. Music box was on that. They have the best possible policies they could. I just, I feel insane watching people be like, I'm going to the movies six times this week, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Y'all need to just buy big, expensive TVs and live your best lives. Um, I, yeah, anyway, we got, we got sidetracked because the, the, the pitch I wanted to do was a David Lynch podcast leading into a Twin Peaks podcast. Yeah, we the timing we can all work out later. We could cut all that if we want. I do. I, I do will, like but... we just do a bunch of David Lynch. Yeah, and we maybe space it out, and we maybe do the David Lynch movies as part of stairwells for a while. Yeah. Um, and then we just like have a podcast that is here's the actual Twin Peaks. Maybe we could cross post the David Lynch ones if we wanted, or we could just go hey listen to morning stairwells. Yeah, but anyway, um. Stairwells in Emma. Oh yeah, I was about to be like, let's just wrap this up. And I remember we need to rate a stairwell and also answer emails. I always get to this part and I'm like, emails. Uh, So the emails, um, I think will be pretty easy this time because I, I think we had put these questions before, maybe, but it's neither here nor there. Um. Um. I'm going to give Emma B minus for stairwells, I feel, unless you object. Yeah, let's, let me quick take a look. What did I give it when I talked about it on when I said episode 12? Give it an A. I, B minus I could, feels, B I minus. Could, I could give it a B plus even. Yeah. I, I. B. B. I, there are uh, many stairs. There are nice stairs. Um. There are scenes on the stairs, but nothing really like grabbed me and was like, "Oh my, oh my word, what an outstanding stairwell!" I was like, "Okay, these yeah. good stairs. Got some good stairs here." Um, the 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 most impressive one is the really there's like the apartment complex or whatever where they're on the outside and they're really tall, but we don't we kind of get like briefly her going up them, but we don't get like a good her going up the stairs. We just see them in the background. And then there's the stairs in her home. Uh, with Gaston, mm. where she goes up, we get that good shot that's probably gonna be the cover. Um, there's one where she goes up the stairs to do the reggaeton dance. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that's maybe most plot significant is when she's like going up all the stairs to go to the school, and then she goes up all of them again and sees Polo on like what seems to be her first day teaching, and it's just like. What's it go? Yeah. Um, and then she just loses that job, right? She's and then they just walk up, and then they walk anymore. upstairs that are like going up a hill. I assume. You, I assume you we get... don't get a good shot of them, but she does go upstairs to go meet with the two people that she's been sleeping with, who are Paula's new adoptive parents. I assume you get fired from your teaching job when, on the first day, you kidnap the one of the children. And leave the rest unsupervised and then just bolt. Probably. I, I assume you lose your teaching job. Probably. I assume you can never teach in a school again after that. Probably. And then they they talk to the psychologist and they're like, 
what happened and you're like, okay, she did technically fail this like psychology test that I had to do, but she did give me her sexy seduction eyes and I think she might be a vampire. So. <laughs> um, Rick asks a question that I know we've gotten before, but I want to see if we have any new fun answers, I guess. Yeah. Um, which stairwells movie would be best if you replaced every character but one with Muppets? My classic stand my answer for this will always be Mulholland Drive. Everything's the same except Rebecca Del Rio is not a Muppet. Rebe- or, or, um, every character's a Muppet in Mulholland Drive except Rebecca Del Rio. <laughs> the one that, that I thought about that would be funny, it's not every character, but I think this is still a little bit in the spirit, which is if you do um, Wings of Desire and everybody's puppets except for uh, Otto Zander and Bruno Mars. But then when he becomes <laughs> a human, or Bruno, Bruno Gantz, but then when he becomes a human, <laughs> he becomes a Muppet. <laughs> that would be good. Bruno Mars. And, and it would be especially good if it wasn't just, that's the only change you make, but also instead of all these conversations about like wanting to become a human or whatever, or like wanting to become mortal. They were specifically talking about what happens when you become a Muppet. It was specifically about just humans who go around and the Muppets can't see them. And the humans just like (laughs) try and comfort the Muppets. And then one of the human beings wants to become a Muppet. And then we learn that the Muppet that looks like... (laughs) What what about Itumama Tambien, but the... The woman in that movie is the only Muppet. <laughs> that would be so good. So it's it's um it's the two boys hanging out with Miss Piggy. <laughs> yeah. Um Goodbye Dragon Inn and oh. it's the the one um actor guy who who says the line about like this theater's haunted or whatever. I remember I I came up with another um version of this the other day which is name a movie and every character but one is replaced by andy circus in a mocap suit (laughs) (laughs) well in in that case it's wings of desire and um my brain is like completely giving out because i'm tired columbo (laughs) peter falk peter falk peter columbo Peter Falk is Peter Falk and everyone else's yeah. Annie Circus in a mocap suit. Yeah. But it's specifically just being CD versions of all the actors who yes. play all that. Yeah. <laughs> it's Andy Circus, but animated over Andy Circus is just the actors who it's supposed to yeah. be. <laughs> They're just doing the like the um, you know, Star Wars like we brought back Graham Marfin or whatever it's fucking name it. Graham Offen. You know, we just have, like, a CG face from a a person, like, an actual actor. Let me die a woman, but every character is a Muppet, except for that one lady who gave the actual good interviews, but also, like, is hardcore, like, messed up about gender in a way that she doesn't recognize. Yeah. Um... (laughs) Bram Stoker's Dracula? Okay, okay. Here's a... Tokyo Who? Godfathers, who's the one character that you don't turn into a Muppet in that movie? Because <laughs> every character... The baby. Okay. Ev- ev- yeah, okay. There we go. Yeah. Um, 
You were saying Bram Stoker's Dracula. Sorry. I'm just, is it Keanu Reeves or do you use someone else? Winona Ryder? <laughs> Keanu Reeves <laughs> being seduced by three sexy Muppets is a really funny thing to imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, man, that's a good movie. We watch some bangers on this podcast. We do. Um, I think those are some good answers. Uh, and Aiden asks if Toshiro Mifune had actually accepted the role of Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars who would you want to see cast as a young Obi-Wan in the prequel movies still Ewan McGregor yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a little problematic but you know yeah. um, more than a little really we're getting the Wachowskis to direct this one <laughs> I just like Ewan McGregor a lot. Yeah. Um, the the thing is, I'm trying to think of like actors in 1999 specifically who could have been Obi Wan Kenobi. Because I, if I put my mind to it, I could come up with actors today to be a young Obi Wan, like like a person to play. Like, but that's not what it is. It's someone to emulate Toshiro, Toshiro Mifune in 1999. You know, yeah. But also, Ewan McGregor is not emulating Alec McGinnis so much until the last movie. The first two movies, he's kind of playing his own character, and then he kind of gets closer to the Alec McGinnis portrayal. Yeah, I'm just, I'm like, I'm trying to think of like, let's find a, a less. Um, problematic actor that we could get than you and McGregor I still don't yeah playing Toshiro Mifune yeah (laughs) um yeah yeah The, the thing is there are so many like bit Japanese like V cinema um actors that I could pull out, but none of them could be Mifune. Yeah. This is the thing. Yeah. Did you see did you see that like um photo of like um the guy who played the original common writer standing next to like his son or his grandson playing a new common writer? Yeah. And like man <laughs> they just look different. <laughs> Smoking just did things to your body. <laughs> yeah. Um, Takeuchi Riki could be funny. Oh, who's mm-hmm. that? We'll we'll get to Dead or Alive eventually. And um, let me. Eat. You... Mm, okay, I'm gonna throw something out there, and I don't know how I feel about it. Let me let me see if I can like. Okay. Get kind of the face. Has he been in a Yakuza game? Is that the screenshot I just saw? Yeah, he's like in a more recent Yakuza game. Okay. Because he was a big Yakuza actor. Yeah. Um. Um. This is like older him, but like here, I can kind of see it. Going with the Yakuza movies, how are we feeling about Beat Takeshi as Obi-Wan Kenobi? Beat Takeshi is Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
Oh, look at my boys. <laughs> anyway. I think that answers that. Is that it for questions? Yeah, that's it. Okay. Uh, Where can people find you online? You can find me at FoxMomNia on Twitter. You can also find me at Mediv underscore Pile. Um, don't find me at Garfed Up. Garf right aloud. It's now Garf dead aloud because I decided to kill it. Oh, you did kill it? Okay. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Um, the thing that, that really put the nail in the coffin is uh, today. So the thing is that like I don't really like Garfield and uh, I think that it's a funny thing that I do. I think the idea of it is funny. I did it for a really long time twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think also the joke of me doing it for a long time twice. Um, and it's just, it's a thing that I have to like do with my day. Mm-hmm. Like I have to like get off work and then record me reading Garfield aloud. Um, and it's just a, a thing that like, I don't find the Garfields funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like a lot of people watch it. There are a lot of friends who understand what the joke is of me doing this, but there are other people who follow that account that just think that like, haha Garfield that are like fully in the like Garfield irony poisoning part of Twitter. And so the big nail in the coffin <clears throat> is I went and checked my followers on Mean to see if anybody had the stupid NFT hexagon. And that there was only one person and it was like a Garfield account that followed me. Wait, NFT hexagon. Sorry. What Twitter has like icons that are nfts now do you not see this no okay well only one person had it um i'll show the the account to you later because i i didn't like soft block them but they definitely followed me just because of garfield allowed mm. um and it's also in this like garfield trans blah blah territory that like i kind of just find cringy and weird um but anyway that was the name of the coffin i was like if i'm getting people who will pay for an NFT Twitter icon following me because of Garfred allowed. I just have to kill this. Yeah, that's fair. So don't, I mean, you could still follow Garfred allowed, but this is a thing that I might do. You all you're listening here. Mm. This is don't go spreading this. Uh, if I remember on April Fool's Day, I might post me reading Heathcliff aloud on that account. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. You can find all my other podcasts at exportodd.io. Um, that takes you to the Patreon page, and there we have links to all the free feeds. You can also there give us a dollar a month and get... Um, access to this podcast early access to uh to gotham city limits early access to hot singles early access to bag and book club early arthur condom did you say that one arthur Canum early you can also give us five dollars a month five dollars a month and get pop town funk which is a podcast where we roll random funko pops and have to watch the films and tv shows that inspired them um, we just put up today as we record this an episode about, um, 
a season 11 episode of Supernatural, and our next episode is going to be about an anthology comic, uh, an anthology Overwatch comic thing. Yeah. Overwatch comics anthology. I think I ordered those words in the right order this time. Okay. Um, um, also, go listen to Ghost Divers, specifically the Adolescence of Utena one, if you've watched the anime and the movie. Ew. Otherwise, that probably is not going to make sense. But, like, the Utena season, I think, is the best season that we've ever done. Um, and that episode that we did together was really good. If you're listening to this episode right now on the free feed, then you're one week behind. And if you are so taken with our Emma episode that you just have to hear our next episode, you can go and give us a dollar a month and you can hear about our next movie. I burped and it really ruined my nice segue. Um, she's got to have it. Uh, Spike Lee's first movie, um, you know, for February, we wanted to just do movies by black directors. And so um, I just picked kind of at random a Spike Lee movie I hadn't seen. Yeah. M told me, quote, oh, that's a weird one. <laughs> that is a weird one, but we'll have fun. We'll have fun. Um, if people go to, uh, what is that, exportaudio slash stairwell quality or stairwells mm-hmm. quality, I always forget. Stairwell. Stairwell quality. Um, you can check out the movies that we have planned ahead already. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking at episode 33 and you're like, what the hell's going on there? It's a bunch of short films yeah. from a... Um, Ghanaian American director. Which I'm very excited to get to, like, um, the last two or three movies on that list and be like, can we stop now? We <laughs> watched so many movies. Can we stop now? <laughs> yeah. So, look forward to that, everybody. Um, Some of these are really short. We could do something stupid for that episode. What? We could watch a movie. Record. We'll record, watch a movie, go record. Yeah. That'd and then and then release it as uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 separate episodes? No. Or no? No. no. We're, not, we're not like doing a extremely rapid, um, was it Back to the Ark? Yeah. I was like... I, I'm at the level of tired now where I'm like, is it Return to the Ark? Is it Back to the Ark? Is, is it, it Lost Ark? <laughs> I know it's not Lost Anyway, I'm trying to find this um, NFT icon so I can show you. But we can we can wrap this up. Look at Koro is real. Look at Koro is real.
silence for noise removal, actually. Well. <laughs> that picked up on the mic. You know, it's probably fine because, like, this is such a quiet room. Yeah. I, I always do noise removal mm-hmm. for my audio, like, when I do ghost divers and stuff. And I, like, just don't think it needs it. I just yeah. don't. There's not... There's not a fan in here. There's not... Yeah. The, the clothes everywhere. Yeah. I have, like, the closest that I can have to just, like, a sound studio, which is my walk-in closet. 